editor, former online and managing editor, and host of Talk That Talk, award-winning journalist Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. It is 10 o'clock, not on a Thursday night, but on a Friday night. It is time for the Talk That Talk radio show. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio with a new face to you guys. We've actually done this style of show before. I did his show a couple of times back when it was on UNLV's campus. But now this is his first time on the Talk That Talk radio show. This is the other half of the Back and Forth podcast. Joey Gallegos is in the building. Joey G, what's going on, man? It's good, man. Hey, I got to say real quick. Talk to me. That that Dick Calvert intro? Yeah, it is. That, that was dope. That was dope. I appreciate you, brother. You know what's funny? I'll give you this quick story about DC. Um, I I, <laughs> I asked him, could he do it? And he was like, he, he kind of heard it and was like, all right, cool. Like, I, I'll go ahead yeah. and do it. But it, you could tell by the way he answered me, he didn't really know what I wanted. <laughs> so I was, I'm at an aviator game one day, and I was like, you know what? Let's just do it. So I told him, I was like, literally – the way that you would do the end now, like when you're introducing a running rebel, was like coming right. out of the tunnel. I said, I need that. I need that energy. And he was like, got you. <laughs> this was COVID when campus was closed. DC made a special trip down here to record for me. Best part about that story, D he said he was leaving the uh, campus. He said, yeah, somebody should email you that. Uh, somebody should email you that soundbite. Yeah. In the back of my mind, I said, you know how much of a boss you got to be to roll up, record, and be like, yeah, send that off? <laughs> hey, that's the, hey, I grew up going to the Thomas Mack, <laughs> going to Sam Boyd, and I heard that dude's voice all throughout my childhood, all till I was 17, 18 years old, so that, that was cool. <clears throat> and, and to be honest, man, that's what I wanted. I wanted people from Vegas yeah. to hear that, to know exactly where it came from. And the funny thing was, the hardest part was that was me trying to sit down and think of some stats about myself. I was like, so <laughs> how would I want to be introduced? Yeah. But again, guys, thank you for joining us on the Talk That Talk radio show. I see people commenting on our Facebook Live right now. We appreciate you guys so much. If you would like to join our Facebook Live, all you have to do is go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in Talk That Talk radio show. Once again, go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in Talk That Talk radio show, and you are good to go. You can pretty much do that across every platform. You can do it on Instagram. You can do it on Apple Podcasts. You can do it on Google Podcasts. And you can do it on Spotify. The one thing that will be different is our Twitter. Our Twitter is at TalkThatTalkLV. Once again, our Twitter is at TalkThatTalkLV. I told Matt yesterday when we were getting ready to do this show, I said this is the perfect show for Joey to come on because we have so much UNLV news to talk. It's insane, brother. So we're going to start with my mom's tip-in, as usual. We'll start with my mom's tip-in. Um, I don't know if you've actually listened to the full show before. So basically, I'll start it with, well, exact, the tip-ins from my parents are exactly what they what they sound like. Um, everybody watches basketball, and we know what a tip-in is, and I feel like that's what my parents are for me. I feel like whenever I'm slipping, they usually have my back, right? Yeah. So my mom typically opens the show. My dad bookends it. The reason why I do that is because my dad's going to send us something sports-related. He's going to give us his opinion on something, his take on something. My mom's usually has nothing to do with sports. <laughs> so usually I tell my mom, she sends me these quotes and stuff, like in these, these different mornings, and usually they come at a time that we need it most. And right. this one I actually like a lot. But my mom's tipping for today is life is so much simpler when you stop explaining yourself to people and just do what works for you. I like it. 
I'll read that one more time. Life is so much simpler when you stop explaining yourself to people and just do what works for you. So shout out to my mom for that tip in. You want to explain what the Lady Rebels are doing? Hey, the Lady Rebels are going dancing. And I, in my opinion, they should have been going dancing regardless of the outcome of that tournament. Um, to think that they needed to to win that tournament, to get that bid is kind of insane to me. You know, this team um, went, what, 28-2 and two in the regular season. They're insane. sitting at 31-2 and two right now. Uh, they're in the top 25. If this if this were the men's team, they get in. Teams in the top 25 or teams that are on that bubble in the top 25 usually typically get in the tournament on the men's side. Why it's different for the women's bracket, uh, I'm not quite sure. Um, but, yeah, this team fully deserves it. Lindy LaRock has done a fantastic job. You know, this is her third season here. Um, back-to-back conference co- – regular season Mountain West titles, back-to-back conference championships – um, this team has just been so dominant in the conference. And you even look at the resume outside the conference. Um, they were the only team to have an undefeated record against the top 100 net opponents other than South Carolina. And we know we know, you know, how good South Carolina has been in recent uh, in recent history over there. Um, Asia Wilson went to South Carolina Talk and top five team consistently year in and year out. And for UNLV to be on the list, uh, the same list as that school and to not get the same respect from the committee is kind of crazy. And even winning the tournament. The latest bracketology has them as a 12 seed, 31 and 31 and two, and you're you're a, you're a 12 seed. And I don't think it's changing like a month. Yeah, like that <laughs> that don't make a lot of sense to me. Like you 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 think you think 31 and two, you think top 25 team, you're like okay, that's a that's a five, a four, or a three. To be sitting at 12, it to me is is crazy disrespectful. At the end of the day, my view on it is these are all Division one athletes. Every game's a tough game. These aren't you know they're not playing uh high schools or anything you know the mount west i think is still fairly competitive wyoming has been very good colorado state new mexico year in and year out are all very good teams on the women's side of the thing on the women's side of the bracket uh san Diego state as well and these are teams that UNLV swept you know it's really hard in conference play regardless if it's the mountain west conference usa the Sun Belt, Pac-12, wherever it is is really hard to go 18 and 0 and then go 3 and 0 in conference play it's really hard to beat three teams in a row at the same time that's one of the toughest things to do in college basketball. Um, UNLV beat Wyoming three times. UNLV beat San Diego State three times. UNLV beat who did they play in the quarterfinal. Let me go look at it right now. UNR. UNR. They beat UNR three times, and that's a and rivalry that was back-to-back, game. Yep, and yeah. that was back-to-back games against exactly. the rival too. So in every point that you just made, I, I, I kind of want to p- almost piggyback off of, but you, you made the point about them being mentioned in the same breath as South Carolina. Yeah. And I'm sure you know this as well. There's another – specific category where they can only be mentioned in the same breath as South Carolina undefeated South Carolina mind you UNLV hosts the second longest win streak in the country at 22 wins it's a 12 seed though (laughs) and and, you know what and this is this is what really is is kind of throwing me off because I want to I want to double check but just for comparative sake you just mentioned that if this was the men's team they would be in right For anybody at home that disagrees with what Joey just said, the Houston Cougars are 30-2 and two this year. They are projected as a one seed in the men's bracket. They play in the American Athletic Conference. Which has been terrible this year. Cincinnati's already got one foot out the door ready to go to the Big 12, as many as other schools do. Memphis, you know, I, I want to root for Memphis. I'm a huge fan of Penny Hardaway and hey. what, he's, what, he, what he's done there. But, you know, the problem with Memphis is that it's kind of a recycling roster with five-star recruits year in and year out. And it, those are young guys, like, and they're, they're, they're 
their, their inexperience kind of shows. They had a good year this season, but the fact that that may arguably be the second best team in the conference, like the American is not good this year. So plain and simple. And and this team is still projected as a one seed. And technically speaking, the Lady Rebels are one game better. Yeah. <laughs> so the Lady Rebels are one game better. <laughs> and you talk about uh, the experience of different guys. Obviously, you're talking about the uh, the American Athletic Conference. However. Let's get back to these Lady Rebels. And if you speak about experience, it does not surprise me that this group is led by their upper class leadership in terms of Desi Ray Young, Essence Booker, and still Justice Etheridge, regardless of what this stat line looks like. Justice played 37 minutes in this title game. UNLV was was able to, I'm trying to, I always, and this is what's interesting too, when we, when we sit here and, and, and Joey knows this well, when we sit here and do game recaps, it's weird because every game is a win or a loss. Yeah. You have to find 199 different synonyms for win and loss. And this one for me, I feel like UNLV simply outlasted Wyoming. And that's and I noted it's an 11-point win, 71 to 60, but getting Allison Furtick in foul trouble early, I talked to Desi about it after the game and she said that was kind of at, at, at the forefront of her mind. Her goal was the moment we get her in foul trouble, it doesn't matter who dives to the paint. Yeah. That body isn't there. That 6'4 body isn't there. It completely was the difference in this game. Desi with a monster double-double. 28 points, 17 rebounds. Named the tournament MVP. Of course, this comes on the heels of her being what, most, what most suspect is a robbery. I tweeted my, my frustrations a couple of different times. Desi Ray Young was robbed. Of the Mountain West Player of the Year, she backs it up with a 28 and 17 performance, a 28 point and 17 rebound performance in this Mountain West Championship title game. And then after the fact, it, it, what I loved most is Desi gives you quote after quote after quote after quote throughout the regular season, and there was still a sense of and I, and I pointed it out with Chelsea Gray after uh, the Commissioner Cup. Yeah, if you watch Desi's face. And Chelsea's face while the announcement is getting ready to be read. I remember when they was when they started to say uh, the stats for the Commissioner Cup MVP. I forgot who Chelsea was talking to, but she was talking, and when she heard the the assist stats, she was like, "It's me!" Like, hold on, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. it's me. And that was kind of Desi's response. And yeah. the interesting thing was, Desi has handled this like a pro. It's amazing to see the Las Vegas media kind of go to bat for her. Yeah, definitely. I think she was robbed of that uh, Mount West Player of the Year. Kind of felt like kind of lame on the Mount West's end. Uh, it really felt like they just didn't want to give too many awards uh, to UNLV, um, which, again, is a lame way to go about it because UNLV was the best team in the conference. And down the line, whether it was off the bench, starters, and, and coach of the year, uh, they had the best players and, and best personnel in every category. But one player I want to give a lot of credit to, yep. Um, this season, you know, working a lot of games with the Lady Rebels and a player that really stood, you know, they all stood out. You know, they, they were a fantastic team and they really go 11, 12 girls deep. Um, but Kira Jackson off the bench was, I think, a huge difference maker for them this season. For sure. Um, a fantastic three-point shooter. She just would come in and there would be nights where she'd give you 17, 21 points off the bench. And in my opinion, like, she was, obviously Desiree Young is the best player on that team, but she was a huge difference maker. Like, she came in and gave you the lady rebels a lot of runs and so in my opinion reg uh, excluding desiree young she's like the 
She's the she's the team MVP in my eyes. And to be quite honest with you, one of the people that you just mentioned in terms of Kiara Jackson was awarded something by the Mountain West, right? She was awarded the sixth person of the year. And to be honest with you, I agree with you yeah. in terms that the Mountain West, it appears that they didn't want to give UNLV, for lack of a better term, too much love. But here's where I start to rant a little bit, just a little bit. But doing that, is the reason why the Mountain West is projected to have one team in the NCAA tournament. As you just said, clearly UNLV is the best team in the conference. Yeah, if there's any year for a team to, if not sweep the awards, be pretty close to it, this would be the year. But it's also individual achievements, a lot of it. It's not team, like, Lindy LaRock being, that's an individual achievement Desiree Young like that's an individual achievement like it's not like you're 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 giving UNLV another trophy here like all these players have earned that and you can't sit there and be like well you know Desiree Young is the best player in the conference but we don't want to give UNLV too much love because if you look down the board here you know they're, they're they're filling it up so let's give it to someone else like that's not the way you go about it like these players bust their ass off um they deserve to be to receive the love that they should get I completely agree with you and I mean you talk about this group and you talk about Kiara Jackson, right? Kiara Jackson is one of four sophomores. Alyssa Durazo Frescas is in there. Alyssa Brown is in there. Kennedy Winfrey is in there. Clearly, if they're sophomores, they're two for two. They're two for two in the Mountain West right now. And I wrote this story earlier this year. And uh, shout out to, to Kiara Jackson for being as open and honest as, as she was. But uh, I did this story on KJ. And this, I referenced it to go or actually actually the starting point of the story the reference point was the air force home game and i remember vividly um the team was up maybe 12 maybe 11 something something something, something like that yeah and uh kiera crosses the half court line and chris gobrick who is air air force's coach has them still in a press and i watched i watched Kiera dribbled to the front of the bench and Lindy said run it and when she said run it I said okay this isn't gonna end well <laughs> and Kiera ran it Kiera got the layup Chris wasn't happy her and Lindy said some words at halftime I mean at, at, at half court everything was obviously great Lindy was was a professional in the post game afterward but I did this story about Kiera a year later and I was like Kiera I don't know if you remember but that particular game I was on campus super late for whatever reason and after the game, I saw Kiera shooting. And it was just her, and it was one person rebounding. And I asked her, I was like, how often does that happen? Yeah. And she was like, I don't stay after games. Like, so I really don't know what made me stay yeah. after that game. But clearly something kind of fired me up. And I told her, I was like, I don't know if you even care about comic books, if you even care about the Marvel Universe and things like that. I said, but I truthfully think that's your villain origin story. Yeah. And she kind of looked at me and was like, I can see it. And I was like, long. so if you torch the Mountain West for the rest of your career, I blame Air Force. I tr I do. That's just the way that I, I feel that way. It falls on the Air Force Academy when she. <laughs> At this point, I mean, wh why not? I mean, it, it, it makes me feel better to say that it's Air Force's fault. Yeah. Um, and we're going to get to Air Force and why the men should probably be hugging Air Force every time they see them. Um, that, Funny enough, talking about Air Force. Mm-hmm. And I believe, uh, I want to say since, the stat was since 2014, UNLV has only beaten one team in the Mountain West tournament. 
They've won. They've won five games in the Mountain West tournament since then. All those games have been against Air Force, and they are winless against everybody. Else. They're winless against everyone else, and they have. They're the only team besides Air Force since uh, in the last decade, I believe, or not the last decade, nine years, mm-hmm. um, to not make the semifinals. So everyone, Absolutely. San Jose, San Jose did it this year. Huge shout out to Tim Miles, by the way. Yeah, can you want to you want to talk about Tim for a little bit? Because Matt typically shows him some love. I'm with it if you want to. Hey, I give Tim some love any day, man. Tim, Tim, Tim's done a fantastic job at San Jose State. You want to talk about a good redemption story? Um, that's the way to go, right there. You know, he was first off did a great job at Colorado State. That got him recognition from the Big Ten. He goes and takes a job in Nebraska. Don't work out as well there. I think he only gets to one NCAA tournament, um, has a couple losing seasons. They part ways, and San Jose rolled the dice with him. I mean, I feel like that was a really – it was a smart hire, but it was also like – you could tell it was like a safe hire. You know what I mean? It was like, okay, you. this guy's got experience. He can recruit. He's been in the Mountain West before. Let's go with Tim Miles. And year one was rough. Um, I think they went – they only won four or five games last season. But to go from f- – San Jose should really, um, you know, not – I mean, your season's over – Obviously, okay to be upset about it, but they should really be proud of themselves. They went from four wins to twenty wins and making the fir- their first ever conf- Mountain West Conference semifinal. Yep, in one year, that's a huge leap to take. And t- Tim Miles has done a-, a fantastic job there. And year in and year out, they're only going to continue to get better if he if he stays there because going twenty and thirteen at San Jose is going to get him a lot of attention. So he a may lot. he may be. I won't. I don't know if I would say power five, but he could get attention from an American school or maybe a conference USA school that's got a bigger budget. Like we've seen conference USA schools take um, Mount West schools before. If we want to go back four or five years, UTEP took Rodney Terry from Fresno State, so he could get another job from a I think a uh, a another mid major conference if you know a lot of schools are impressed, which I think they should be with this season there. But I hope he continues to stay as at San Jose State. You know, they've been a fun team to watch this year, and I've kind of liked seeing that. I don't know if it's still called the San Jose Event Center, but seeing it fill up. The Provident – what is it's the Provident Credit Union Event Center. Provident Union – ah, credit – whatever it's called. Yeah, Provident uh, Credit <laughs> Union. I try to remember based on, like, C is PCU – yeah, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the only Mount West Arena's name I do not know, but – um. You know, I it's year in and year out. You've seen that place just be empty seats. And this yep. season, you know, I think they pulled. They had a game where they pulled, I think, almost three thousand fans, which for them is is, is huge. So I'm, I hope he continues to build um, at San Jose State. So when did you get to UNLV? When when was your freshman year? Freshman year, I got to look at my 2021. 2021. So I got here in 2017. I didn't start until fall of 2017, right? So when I first got here, um, <laughs> I get here, and I remember, I remember uh, being asked about um, just different different teams, obviously, and me doing my research for different teams and things like that, and certain things became the norm for me, right? I remember my first game period at UNLV was um the U- the week one against Howard. <laughs> Lit- yeah, literally my, my introduction to UNLV football. And that, that year they were supposed to be like seven and they were projected to go like seven and five and, and finish like second in the Mountain West in their division. And keep in mind I'm in California doing a little bit of research on 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 uh on Tony Sanchez just from hearing about Gordon. Yeah. So I get here, I'm excited, dog. I'm yeah. like this is great. 
first game happens, clock hits zero, and I kind of stand there like. And, and there's a moment because shout to Steve Weiss from NFL Network, my OG. I tell him all the time. He knows I do want to go to Howard. I don't know if I'll eventually go, but he knows that was a goal for me. I seen that and was like, dog, I finally get the one up on you. Like, <laughs> I don't know why I'm so excited about this because I shouldn't be this happy about this, Doug. Yeah. But I can't wait to hang this over your head. Dog, I think he tweeted me when the game was over. And I was like, you did it on a timeline? Like, where people can see? <laughs> and, and I remember standing there after the game, like, somebody walked by and said, first year? It gets like this. You'll, you'll get used to it. And literally walked away. Dog. I have no idea who said it. I don't know where they came from. And that's kind of been my experience kind of kind of uh, navigating sports here. I say all of that to say up until this year, I had never seen the men's team lose to San Jose State. Yeah, they they they've San Jose has kind of just been a them and Air Force has just been schools that, you know, you kind of just beat up on. Um, in the Mountain West, and this year getting swept by, they did they did get swept by San Jose and Marvin Menzies first year, but past that, I, I I can't remember a time where I've seen them lose. And to talk about that Howard game, another funny story from that night that I'll never God. forget. My uh, my good buddy's dad, Giancarlo, um, all the month leading up to that season, I was like, man, UNLV football is back. They're gonna this is this is an eight and fourteen. We got Armani Rogers, we got Lexington Thomas. Like our run game is deep. We've got Woods at the receiver. Like our team is like we're we're gonna be contending them. I can't wait. Sam Boyd's gonna be filled up. You know, we're week in and week out. Like we're gonna get we're gonna. I think they played Ohio State that year, or no USC. They played a Power Five school. Played SC. Yeah, and I was like, they're they're gonna hang in that game with them. They're they're gonna play them close. First game happens, they lose. Obviously, um, he picks us up from the game, mm-hmm. and I didn't say a word. The car ride home, he's talking and shit. You know, he's saying, "Oh, you know, I, t- I could have told you it was gonna happen or whatever came out of his mouth that night." But <laughs> I, I sat there in silence, like I fuck, I fell for it again. <laughs> and and the, the thing again. is, do you? How bad do you feel? So now, now we can slowly transition over into the men's side for for a brief moment because UNLV did have. Their run cut short again in the quarterfinals. They lose this time to Boise, 87-276. I found it interesting, too, that this is their second time being eliminated by Boise in the last four years. Yeah. So just to kind of give you another idea for kind of the the, the roadblock that this team keeps running into, I talked to Kevin Kruger after the game, and I highlighted his uh, history in, in, in basketball, right, in college basketball specifically. And I was talking to Joey before, the, before we actually hit record, and I was telling Joey, I don't know why, but two days ago, I was watching. Actually, I do know why. <laughs> but two days ago, I was watching the 2007 Mountain West Championship Final. And that was Kevin Kruger's MVP year. And just watching that game and going back to what you said before, I get it's a Mountain West tournament, right? But I'm looking at the venue. I'm, I'm looking at what I believe the field to be around UNLV. And I tell my dad all the time, I, 100%, I came here because of the, the legacy of Tark. That's yeah. why I'm here at UNLV. And I told my dad, I said, I feel like I have felt that experience in the MAC one time. And DeAndre Aiden and his Arizona Wildcats came here. <laughs> I don't think I've felt it since then. No. Um, I think ever since the the departure of Dave Rice and the whole mess that – that four month stretch was you literally go through four different head coaches in a four month head stre- uh, stretch. Um, I think that kind of just forever. 
I don't know if ruin is the right word, but has just had this like this storm cloud over over the basketball program. Um, you know, a lot of people love Dave Rice here. Uh, I'm not going to get into my opinions on that, but you know, a lot of people were very fond of Dave Rice and uh, didn't like the way he went. And I think the I think what really ruined um, the program, or at least the relationship with the fans, was who he was replaced with with the interim head coach. It was every fan was like, okay, well, it's going to go to Stacy. It's going to go to like it has to go to Stacy Ogman. Why wouldn't it go to Stacy Ogman? If it doesn't go to Stacy, it'll go to Ryan Miller. It goes to I'm forgetting his name. He's a Southern Utah head coach now. Uh, let me go ahead and get it. Todd right Simon. Now. Todd Simon. Simon. It goes to Todd's and no one, no <laughs> one. Osterberg are in the same boat. For yeah. Reason. No one was like, no one was like, is going to go to Todd Simon. So a lot of people were were upset with the disrespect that Stacey Ogman received because it, it should have been Stacey Ogman. Um, so a lot of people were pissed about that. And then you go into the offseason, you interview Stacey Ogman again, he doesn't get the job. So I feel like um, the problem they've had with the fan base is the lack of, of love UNLV has shown former players and coaches. And I think what they tried to do with the Kevin Kruger hiring was being like, hey, look, we hired a former player, also has a relationship, you know, Long Kruger's son, we're trying to bring it back. And I think that's why they brought in Kevin Kruger. Um, I don't know if we're ready to talk about Kevin Kruger yet. I feel like that was a mistake, letting UNLV be his first big-time head coaching job. I feel like Kevin Kruger one day could be a really head coach, would be a really good head coach. But at this age, you know, he really had not had a whole lot of coaching experience. He only was an assistant at Oklahoma for two seasons. He comes to UNLV as an assistant for T.J. Otzelberger for one year, and he's getting a head coaching job. Like, he's got a lot to learn still. And you can kind of see – um, his youth in the coaching world show over these past two seasons. And to kind of circle back to what we were talking mm-hmm. about, um, I feel like that's kind of what's what's ruined, ruined the relationship with with UNLV basketball and their fans. And also Vegas growing as a city. Like the Ve- Vegas didn't have the Golden Knights seven years ago. Vegas didn't have the Raiders seven years ago. Vegas didn't have a, a brand new $200 million ballpark in Summerlin seven years ago. They're still playing at Cashman, which – everyone tried to avoid so which we're gonna get to again yeah again so <laughs> there's a lot more different entertainment options in las vegas now UNLV basketball isn't the only show in town and you got to be winning games and you got to be playing notable opponents to get people in seats like you can't be playing uh san francisco or um uh incarnate word like that's not going to get anyone you lose to san francisco yeah you lose to san francisco exactly like that's not going to get people to show up to the thomas and mac i get playing your schedule but you also got to put some games in there to get people's attention because that's how you're going to get people's attention you're going to winning big games it took a 6,000 person crowd or it took a 10-0 UNLV team to get 6,000 people to the Thomas and Mac because they didn't beat no one notable so you got to win and get some wins under your belt because then that's how you start getting people's attention I, I completely agree with you and we we can slowly transition in, into Kevin Kruger right now as a matter of fact um he is, and I had the full number. Why am I going blank? Oh, okay, cool. So, 18 and 14 last year, 19 and 13 this year. You are a game better than you were last year. And I talked to Kevin Kruger just about his history in college basketball. And I said, well, obviously another quarterfinal exit for this group. And I said, well, considering your history in college basketball, what does it take for a team to get over a hump like this? And I'm going to be honest, if there was ever a time that I didn't want coach speak, it was kind of now. And with all due respect to Kevin, I'm sure he obviously going through a whirlwind of emotions after the loss, but his response was keep working at it. And 
my first response was the last three head coaches have been working at it. And at some point, I, I don't know when we're going to get that different answer. And, again, like I said before, it's just this group. For me, I could only imagine what this group uh, is feeling considering that 10-0 and start because they went 9-13 and the rest of the way. Yeah. And when you talk about the 9-13 and finish, you, you kind of just highlighted it. This is UNLV basketball. Of course, there's up and down years in college basketball. However, this is still UNLV basketball. Not only did they lose at one point to San Jose State, they were swept by San Jose State. They were swept by a Fresno team that wasn't very good. That was 10th so, and ninth in the conference. Fam. Like yeah. this is this this wasn't a good look for this. And on top of that, you talk about the tenth the tenth place uh Air Force team, you only see them once during the regular season and you beat them by a point. You beat them off a E. J. Harkless miracle and you beat uh you beat him again in overtime off another pretty much EJ Harkless miracle because he dropped, goes for 35 points. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, and now this group, I, I believe Paloma Villacana talked about it after the game and talked about uh, maybe I lied. Maybe it was Andy Yamashita. I'm sorry. But um, somebody asked Justin Webster about the third straight overtime game for this group. And at the end of the day, we'd be lying to say that this group didn't, shouldn't have shown some sort of. Uh, tired legs at some point yeah i want to commend the hell out of this this group i'm not sure i saw him and in the first half people can say whatever they want about the first half that's missed missed assignments that's what i saw i didn't necessarily see tired legs and then you saw a boise state team that almost couldn't miss they were 10 of 14 from three in the first half unlv clearly tightened it up in the second half i think they went two for 13 in the second half did hit their only attempt in the in, in, in the overtime session but this unlv group for their season to end on this style of game, I think it's really, again, for lack of a better term, poetic, only because I've said all season long, this team can win you 10 straight. This team looks like they can lose you 10 straight. To see that team play as bad as it did in that first half, in moments, in spots, especially defensively, you look at that second half team and it's like... This second half team can compete with anybody. Yeah, Th- that first half team looked like they're ready to give up on the season. The second half team looked like EJ Harkless and a lot of those guys started. Jordan McCabe started realizing that this might be their last college game in their college careers. So like it, it was just, and 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 again to your point, there's been a lot of moments this season where you're like, man, this team can go deep. You look at the Dayton game, they they shut Dayton down completely offensively. Dayton was one of the better teams in the country on the offensive end of the ball. They hold them to 52 points. They go out and beat a Big Ten opponent with Minnesota. They hold them to – that score was a little deceiving because Minnesota went on a run towards the end of the game, but I believe they only held them to 60 points. And I want to go back. I believe you're absolutely right. 62. 62. 71-62. They go out and um, you know play a Washington State team pretty well defensively. The first 10 games, the most they allowed was, was 71 points. Can and we then, pause right there? Yeah. The Washington State game. I'm happy you said that. How did you feel – about the, were you at the game? Yeah, cool. You didn't work that game. Nah, cool. So cool. So I I I I get the fan perspective, which is what <laughs> I wanted. How did that game feel? Because I think Mad and I were working. To me, it felt like this could be their first loss. Okay. And they had they had they had a a pretty sizable. They started to wake up a little bit in the second half. I think they went on a they had a pretty sizable like ten point lead, and then Washington State went on a run towards the end of the game and tightened it up and almost came back. 
And I was like, man, they gotta, they have to, and that's kind of a thing. If you go back and listen to some old episodes of me and Matt, I was like, when they were 10 and 0, I was like, they gotta clean up the end of the game. Cause even look at San Diego, they beat them 95 to 78, but it was like 85 to 50 at one point. Yep. So I was like, they gotta clean up towards the end of the game. Same thing with Washington State. They're up 10 with three minutes left. And then it's a one point game with, with 40 seconds left. So funny enough, the next game, they play San Francisco. And I think they had a, a seven to no, they had a nine point lead, seventy three sixty four, with about a minute fifty left. San Francisco comes back and wins that wins that game. Yep, and they hit a big three at the end, which exactly. is kind of where I'm going. I'm happy that you said it felt like that was the first time you really felt that this group could have lost the game. Right. And Mad Knight came in here after this win and said, if nothing else, Mountain West, Washington State just showed you how to beat UNLV. Knock down a lot of threes. If you knock down your threes, you have a real chance to beat this group. And that's Eight exactly of- what Boise did. Boise did that three times this season. Yep. And that's what a lot of teams did against UNLV is that in the first half, it seems like in the second half they tighten up on it, but in the first half, you since conference play, UNLV just had a complete breakdown on defense, game in and game in and game out. Um, yep. And you see in the second half they would tighten it up. But, again, it was too little too late seeing it with Boise State on – Thursday. Yep. And to be quite honest with you, that was the blueprint to yeah. beat this group. Washington State in this loss went 13 of 23 from deep. Eight of the team's 13 losses this year, teams have hit 10 or more three-pointers. So if there was ever a, a specific point to correct, definitely three-pointing defense. It seems like it would be at the, at the, at the height of this list. And the problem is – you fix that with recruiting, right? And oh. I think that's where a lot of questions are when it comes to this UNLV group, especially with the first two years. It appears that – not even appears. We're, we're watching it happen. Kevin Kruger has brought in rentals. Kevin Kruger has brought in one-and-done guys, guys who are borderline, trying to have one more showing before they attend or, or ultimately leave yeah. uh, campus. And you brought up something that I thought was really interesting. You brought up Stacey Ogman. And you're going to be the reason why I bring this point to fruition – and we're here now, so let's just do it. Um, you said everybody knew that Stacey Augman should have gotten a job. The bigger problem for UNLV basketball is Stacey knew he should have gotten a job. Yeah. So when you say that UNLV hasn't done previous coaches and or players right, it almost reminds me of the sins of the father. And I've always used this group as a reference point. And now I can't wait to use this group as a reference point because I've always said UNLV reminds me of Detroit, of the Detroit Lions. (laughs) I said until the Detroit Lions get it right with the ghosts that are in those halls, they will never be right. And one thing changed. Dan Campbell came in and requested a meeting with Matt Stafford to find out that Dan Campbell opened that by saying, I'm not going to try to talk you in the stand. Before I trade you, I want to know how I can fix this. I said two years ago, Detroit, you're on to something. Yeah. Because he's going to make the effort to correct everything that he had no hand in creating. But they're going to head in the right direction. Barry Sanders was next. Calvin Johnson was next. I'm a Packer fan going into week 18. Like, dog, I kind of want to lose <laughs> at this point. And, and the whole country was kind of rooting for Detroit. It felt like and watching watching Hard Knocks this year, I was like, 
man, this team is is so is so likable. With Jamal Williams to Dan Campbell to, to to Jared Goff, this is just a and Rodriguez the linebacker for sure. This is just such a fun and likable team, and they all they they aren't going to be Super Bowl contenders, but they they got their heads in the right place and they're going in the right direction. And you give them another season, two seasons, they can be legitimate contenders, and so I think jo- they know that. So Joey G, I'm gonna ask you, being somebody that's born born and raised. Born, Born and raised, raised here in Vegas. I'll give them a little free shout out. That's my favorite bar here, by the way. That's my favorite bar in in the valley. Um, but my, I should say, it was my favorite bar when I first got out here. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to ask you, what is it going to take for UNLV to do what Dan Campbell did? It's going to take a coach to be willing to do what Dan Campbell would do. And I feel like, again, not to bring him back up again one of those coaches was going to be a Stacey Ogland kind of guy. Um, I think UNLV's problem, at least with the last two hirings, for one, going back to Marvin Menzies, I think Marvin Menzies was building something. Mm-hmm. That may be crazy. A lot of UNLV fans are going to disagree with that. Just give a quick recap on Marvin Menzies. He could not have inherited a more terrible situation. You have two guys on the active roster who did not play. It was Jalen Poyser and Tyrell Green who did not play at all the previous season it was may or late april he had to recruit 12 other guys you know mostly mostly two one star three star guys that was pretty much just leftovers from that recruiting class and come in and complete a season um i don't think people really understand how hard that was and how hard truly that first year was and he has to go play duke kansas (laughs) oregon i mean he had to play a gauntlet of a schedule year two they get the 20 wins right year three they go 11 and 7 in conference play, which was their best conference record in 6 years or 7 years at the time. He gets fired after that. Yep. They bring in TJ Otzelberger. This is where their mistakes have been the last two hirings is they're going for the young and up and coming head coaches. I don't think UNLV is in a position to keep allowing first time or young head coaches to come to UNLV from and T.J. Altsberger sense the Summit League to UNLV. Also a coach that recruits, particularly in the Midwest, to come to the West Coast. Um, and then in the sense of Kevin Kruger, where I was just talking about, again, I'm, I don't mean any disrespect to Kevin Kruger, but and I think one day he could really be a decent or a good head coach. Um, but to allow Kevin Kruger, who had three years of assistant coach, assistant coaching experience, um, for him to allow him to be this his first big-time job, I think personally was a mistake. And again, you've seen Kevin Kruger's youth and coaching show in a lot of games this year. And I feel like what UNLV needs is a, um, well, they had him and kind of disregarding what, what, what had gone on with him this season at Texas is they need a, a Chris Beard kind of level head coach. Um, one guy that I would have on my radar for UNLV. I mentioned his name earlier. I doubt he's going to leave Texas, but Rodney Terry interim head coach mm. with uh, Texas. I feel like they need a guy like that who's really going to come in and change the culture. Although you have to embrace your past, I think UNLV holds on to a little, holds on to it a little bit too much. Um, so I feel like they need a they they need a Dan Campbell kind of head coach to come in and change the culture. And, and with all due respect, I don't think Kevin Kruger is that guy. Um, my issues with him recruiting is we talk about the rentals, but also what his problem is is. He's bringing in Big 12 transfers who don't play. He's going the Eric Musselman route. But Eric Musselman went out and got transfers from Conference USA or, you know, uh, the MAC. But these guys were contributing players. Um, 
and he's getting Cougars going out and getting Big 12 guys who really didn't get a lot of minutes. So they're going from a role of the last, past three seasons. You look at Donovan Williams and um, I can't think of the, Royce Ham Jr. Mm-hmm. You're asking a lot of someone who did not play at all for three or four seasons then come into UNLV and be a starter. You can't hold, oh, you, you're in the Big 12, like we're, we're, you know, we're expecting X and Y from you. That doesn't matter where they came from. They haven't played, you know, they're not used to playing 25, 30 minutes a night for the past three, four seasons. And now you're throwing them into a starting role year one. Like it doesn't work like On that. On top of being out of position. Exactly. And not to mention that. The reason why Eric Musselman had so success, and UNLV fans always bring up the he's going the Eric Musselman route, is Eric Musselman went out and got guys who had roles with their previous teams and that he sold them on. He may have been the best salesman in the world. He sold them on to come to Reno, Nevada <laughs> and and contribute in and be big-time stars there. But you look at the Martin Twins, those guys played at North Carolina State. You look at Jordan Caroline, yeah. he, played at, he, ah, he played at his uh, previous university. Cameron Oliver, all those guys um, were getting significant minutes with their previous team. And UNLV's recruits, um, these were guys that had kind of been riding the bench the past four years and now are being thrown into a starting role. And also, that's only one year. You can't really build a culture with – one-year rentals. You need to have more guys like Keyshawn Gilbert and um, um, a big guard. Uh, I can't Keyshawn think of Hall. Keyshawn Hall. Yep. So you need more guys like that. You need to go out and get those four three-star recruits. You need to recruit local. Um, I feel like that's how uh, you kind of change the culture here. And, you know, again, I'm not a collegiate head coach, so I'm not trying to overstep here and right. say I know everything. But I don't think getting one-year rentals who have not played a lot of college basketball minutes their past four seasons isn't going to win you games. I mean, I think everything that you said is spot on. And I mean, do I think somebody from UNLV as a whole, do I think the team? Maybe not. Uh, do I think that there's somebody from the UNLV fan base is going to be upset about what you just said? Absolutely. Yeah. But they're the most sensitive fan base, probably <laughs> next to the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, it's all Vegas fans are, are pretty, pretty, but pretty sensitive. What? But the weird thing is, I think the Aces fans, they can be honest with us. They'll have certain years where they'll be like, well, I don't know, Chicago looks crazy this year or Phoenix is this. Vegas, the the Knights, who we're going to get to in a moment, and UNLV basketball. Those are the only two that I really feel like, yo, you're delusional, Doug. Like, you know, UNLV football fans are too. You the, might be. The schedule that. came out. There was a, a sentence <laughs> I to <think> Matt. You- <laughs> yeah. Someone, oh my God, man. Oh, I think I know where you're going. Yeah. Someone said that this team should be in the conference championship with the Mountain West schedule they had. I'm like, you have to, excuse my language, but you have to be out of your fucking mind. for To hold a first-year head coach to the standard of a conference title game for a school that has not had a better record than 7-6 and six in the last 20 years yep. is pure insanity to me. I don't care if, the, the only way that, that um standard makes any sense as if Nick Saban was walking through that door. 100%. Nick Saban's not. And I'll, I'll even take Ed O. And the yeah. reason why I'm going to go there is because UNLV, <laughs> I'm happy that you said that. UNLV started the year 0-4, or 4-0. And I promise, guys, we're getting back to back to, to, to the regularly scheduled program. So this is what happens when you have former Rebels talking about the Rebels. But UNLV football opened the year 4-0. I had said previously this team is looking at six and six. Yeah. The team starts four and zero. Matt said, I, I, I even said in the beginning of the year before it started, I said I'll give you guys seven. Yeah. Four and zero happens. Matt looked at me and said, "What do I have to do, or what do they have to show you, for you to take that number up to eight or nine? I said for them to win seven. Like yeah. you got to get there first. Yeah. And then the season progressed the way it progressed. 
and still didn't touch six. Like so, yeah. You, so it's still one of those things to where I watched it and I said, until this program does it, there shouldn't be a certain level of ex- shouldn't be really any expectation for this program. And I think you you may you may have just rounded out our top three delusional fans here in Vegas. Yeah, I I think UNOV UNOV. UNLV Athletics is definitely atop that for sure. I mean, Golden Knight fans can get pretty bad, but uh, UNLV, both basketball and football, the the expectations and um, what they think their current uh, rosters and teams are capable of, I think, are definitely uh, <laughs> a delusional might be an understatement in, in some ways because a lot of people thought UNLV was going to come in and win four straight games in this tournament, which was not going to happen because the gauntlet they had to go through, they didn't, you know, they did not get the the good side of the bracket. They were going to have to go through Boise, and if they beat Boise, they were going to have to go through Utah State. And that's about, I mean, those are two really tough opponents. I mean, if they got the other side where they'd have to play San Jose or, or UNR, then maybe you can make that semifinal run. But to play four straight games, to win four straight games when you're playing Boise, Utah State, and potentially San Diego State in the championship game and thinking you're going to win all four of those games is the whole, you know, I don't even know if delusional is the right the right word. You have to curve your enthusiasm. Yeah. Like you just have you have to just yeah, bend the corner a little bit. Speaking of bend in the corner, the G League Ignite are actually getting ready to wrap up their season. Uh top six teams from each conference make the postseason after uh last night's game. After last night's game, this group is now ten and sixteen in the well, obviously in the G League, but they are tenth in the West as presently constructed. They just beat the College Park Skyhawks 130 to 113. And I promise I'm getting to the Ignite in a second. But if we're going to talk the College Park Skyhawks, let's talk about one of the guys that you just mentioned, Donovan Williams. Uh, I did a story earlier this this earlier this year. Was it? Yeah, I think, I think it was earlier this year. It may, may have been January. I did a story on Donovan Williams. And um, the, the the headline was something along the lines of he's confident in his future, uh, but he's relishing in the moment, something like that. Yeah. And he was just basically saying he came to UNOV with the similar to what you said before, the one year rental aspect. He said, I'm coming in. Uh, I came in with the expectation of do whatever you can do this year to leave. That's that's the goal. He said he did that. He went in. He went and obviously uh, got to the next level. He said, but when he was having those first couple of meetings with the, with NBA teams, he said a lot of teams looked at his film even, and they even watched or looked at some of his stat lines and was like, yeah, it makes sense, but I didn't watch it. Like, I didn't watch you play. Yeah. And Donovan said he ultimately got burned by UNLV not winning enough games. So he said he talks to Keyshawn and he talks to the guys now, and he said he lets them know you have to win. Like, at this point, those numbers look great, but – they still wanted to see me line up against David Roddy. They still wanted to see me line up against some of these bigger guys that they're telling me are going in the first and second round. I have to prove myself. So it went from him telling me about what the conversations that he's had with the Brooklyn Nets front office to him being signed as a two-way player with the uh, Atlanta Hawks. So now this is where we ultimately boil down to the College uh, Park Skyhawks Donovan scored 21 points in this one, and I think he had 30-something, 33, I believe, in the last one, uh, just continuing to prove that the stretch aspect of him, right? We, we talk about him being kind of dynamic in terms of his ability to, uh, to play the wing, but he's knocking down the three with consistency at the NBA level, and if he does that, we already know what he can do on a defensive level. He can really carve out a 3 and D type of aspect for him. You got anything on Donovan? If not, I'll hop right into the Ignite. Real quick on Donovan. Yep. Um, first off, he's got what a lot of NBA scouts want. Two, if he came back 
I think he would have been a first-round pick the following season. Um, he gets it done on both ends of the ball. Um, he's, again, like I said, what NBA scouts love to see is what, how Donovan Williams plays basketball. He's a great defender. He can come down, and he's a consistent three-point shooter. And he's also, you know, it's a lost start, but he's a really good from the mid-range, and he's also good at driving to the basket. Um, so I think I think next season he's going to find his way on the Atlanta Hawks roster or on another NBA team's roster, and I think he'll be in the NBA for a while. Like, he'll be a, a, a contributing player, and he'll continue to work his way up. Um, but, you know, I really think if he came back to UNLV, he would have been in contention. This is not a stretch at all. This He would have been in contention no for Mount West Player of the Year. He would have been Mount West first team, and he definitely would have been a first-round pick if he came back. I completely agree with you. I, I think the way he's playing right now kind of adds to that validity. Um, and you talk about him, him being underrated in terms of the mid-range game. I swear I'm done with Kevin Kruger after this. But... <laughs> Bryce's best attribute, Bryce Hamilton's best attribute was his mid-range game. And Kevin Kruger's offense wants threes and wants threes and layups. Yep. So yeah. <laughs> um other hey, than that, shout out to Bryce, you know, Bryce Bryce and he still made it work. Yeah, Bryce still made it work, but my Bryce may be up up there with Patrick McCaw as one of my favorite UNLV players. He stayed through three different head coaches, man. You got to give him a lot of credit for that. He stayed through uh, Marvin Menzies. He stayed through T.J. Altsberger, and he stayed through Kevin Kruger. Um, you know, I'm not knocking players that leave programs at all, but, like, yep. you don't, you don't, especially in college with the NIL and all that stuff, you don't see that kind of uh, loyalty or commitment to a, to a school or to a program anymore. And um, Bryce staying through three different head coaches and continuing to get better every season and having a lot to do with any success UNLV's had the last four years, you know, uh, huge credit to Bryce and, I hope he continues to work his way up with, with South Bay. He he deserves everything he's going to get, including that number 13 being raised to the rafters. Yes, sir. Um, Leonard Miller for the G League Ignite. Now, here's – all right. Now, all right. I'm going to admit it this time. That's the difference. Typically, people don't admit when they're about to fan out. I'm going to fan out real quick. So, shout out to Leonard Miller. Uh, scored a career-high 33 points, added 11 rebounds. Keep in mind, Leonard – scored these 33 points on 13 of 17 from the field. So you get a 6'10 forward who is a lefty, who played point guard in high school, who writes with his right hand. He makes no sense. He, he, <laughs> he's, just, he's just trying to throw everyone off, man. Dog, it, it's he, insane. It's hard to prepare for him. And here's where I can fan out. Most mock drafts have him falling to the Pacers. I'm going to lose my mind. I'm telling you something. Are you, are you a Pacers fan? I am a Pacer okay. fan. I'm telling you something. I'm going to lose it. Now, in, in all seriousness, they, they actually talked about it during one of the broadcasts with College Park. They said that he got here. Scoot Henderson's here. London Johnson is next. Jason Hart had an uncomfortable conversation with him. You're not playing point here. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, and a lot of people have compared him to this player, they've compared him to Lamar Odom. This could be this could be something. Yeah. Do I think he had, now ultimately? Uh, and I'm not even looking at percentages, but I know ultimately Lamar turned into a, a a trusty three point threat in that Los Angeles offense. My guess would be mid thirties. Yeah. Is my guess thirty yeah. five ish, maybe thirty seven. Like on on a good day, but um, my guess with what Leonard Miller can do. And I don't think he's had every opportunity to do it with this Ignite team. Is taking the ball off the rim. 
once he can get into a system where he can take the ball off the rim and go coast to coast, we've seen it in moments for sure. But you can also tell with this young player, as he as he gets to the rebound in certain cases, every time he looks up, he's looking for Scoot. He's looking for London. He's looking for CD even to run the break. And in a weird way, this is not a head coaching problem because yeah. I know this may sound this may this may sound like it's coming it's coming at the coaches or it's going at the coaches, but it's not because of the way that this team is is this team's dynamic is. I think Leonard Miller has been handcuffed, and it sounds a little weird to say based on what his numbers are. I think his motor is the reason why his numbers look the way that they look. I think if he has the opportunity to initiate the offense when he needs to, if he goes to the Pacers, for instance, he's not going to do it with Tyrese Halliburton on the, on the court, right? Yeah. However, there are certain situations where now Tyrese, who has done it in the past, you can play off ball. Yeah. That may open another dynamic to this Pacer team that we obviously hasn't seen, haven't seen yet. I got, I got a question for you. Talk to me. Do you think in the future – um, seeing these big five-star recruits like Scoot Henderson and whatnot going to the Ignite, do you think that might scare off other big recruits to maybe go the college route or to go overseas because they know they're going to be playing? The big the big ticket for the Ignite is Scoot Henderson. Yep. He's going to be – if it wasn't for – if Victor Wimbanyana didn't exist, Scoot Henderson is the first pick. And the fact that he's being made a consolation prize is crazy because you're not, you're not losing if you don't get Wimbanyana. You're still going to get Scoot. And, you, I mean, Scoot Henderson is a fantastic draft pick. Um but do you think in the future that might scare off other big-time recruits um, who may want to go in the G League path to go to college or to, to go overseas, whether it may be in Australia or in Europe? Do you think you could start seeing that in the future? Um, I actually don't. Only reason why is because I think the NBA is going to grow with it. And yeah. this is the reason why. I'm happy that you asked me this. And I promise you guys this is not something that we did in, in pre-production. This is real. I literally just thought about this yesterday while watching the game. I was watching the game, and the Ignite have – them, obviously, in Mexico City are two teams that you can't pluck from them. Yeah. This is an NBA development. They're trying to figure out how this, how this certain thing works. Where I believe the NBA is headed, and I think this ultimately frustrates the NCAA, but I do believe that the NBA creates at least one roster spot. I don't think any more than two. On every G League roster where a prospect can come. That's what I think is going to end up happening. And then even if, let's say the Atlanta Hawks want to go grab Donovan Williams from the Skyhawks, that guy who we just grabbed from college or yeah. from high school who chose not to go to college, that's obviously the untouchable. Yeah. So I think ultimately what's going to happen is even with the Ignite, Eric Meek, John Jenkins, for instance. Let's talk about John Jenkins for a brief moment. I'm trying to trying, trying to interweave some game recap in here too. John Jenkins had 29 points in this one. Yeah. Con continuing to kind of break out of his shooting slump coming out of the All-Star break, four of six from three. How many different NBA teams could have used John Jenkins this year? I think a lot of NBA teams could use John Jenkins this season, uh, especially off the bench. I think – I'm trying to think of a team where he'd be a great fit in. Before the Lakers made this trade, I was saying L.A. L.A. could be a great fit for him. I feel like this may be out there. I feel like Golden State, he's a good fit with Golden State. I'm not mad at it. Especially with the you know the, the culture of three-point shooting there and um, – the injuries they, and the injuries and turmoil they've been through this season. A team like Portland, uh, I think, could definitely use John Jenkins. So, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of places where where John Jenkins can go on an NBA roster. He can give you a solid 12, 19 minutes a game and, and get knocked down that three-point shooting for you. He can have a – I'm a Celtics fan, so I'm going to use a Celtic player as a comparison. He, 
you could have a Sam Hauser kind of role. Yeah, and, and to be honest with you, it, it's funny that you mentioned the, the the Boston Celtics just in general because obviously Malcolm Brogdon has a little bit more of a, of an um of a, of, a, of a point guard base. However, the way that he is able to knock down open shots for you guys when you guys need it, obviously meaning the Boston Celtics. I, I, I'm looking at John Jenkins and understanding because he's on this ignite, just uh, this, this ignite team. He understood he couldn't be poached by another team, yeah. and I think that is the growth again of the NBA and specifically the G League because now I think by opening up one or two roster spots to every G League team, now NBA teams can look at the rest of the G League Ignite and say, well, I don't know. We want to give Pujetter one more look in the NBA. We yeah. understand he's about to be 40. Let's give him one more. Yeah. I don't know. Give me a Charlotte. You know what I mean? We have nothing to play for. Give us Pooh. <laughs> give us Pooh. So I think that's where they're headed. And yeah. because of that, I think ultimately they steal more prospects from the NCAA. What happens from there? I'm not there yet. Yeah, I, I mean – I don't, I don't blame, again, not to derail too much, but I don't, I don't blame a lot of these kids for going to the G League or uh, overseas route. I mean, you look at it, what's the point of going to school for a year, um, having the NCAA breathing down your neck, uh, and also having to keep up with school and all that when you know you're not going to be there the following season? So I, I completely agree. I, and then this, this Ignite group, too, uh, shout out to Jason Hart because he said it during media day and he says it a lot. And I can't wait because when, when they come back for this next homestand, I'm actually going to try to interview Scoot to try to get this this, this story working before he's, before he's drafted. But that's kind of what a lot of people don't understand is this Ignite team, they have programs where yeah. they – I don't want to say that they have school per se, but they have financial literacy courses. They, yeah. they actually uploaded a video during one of their homestands. They were learning how to sew. They're learning life skills, and I think that's an interesting dynamic for this G League Ignite group. And to be quite honest with you, you can implement that with every G League team and have one or two guys. And this is, I think that's actually better for them because yeah. now you're still in a role where you're probably going to lead your team, i.e. school, um, which you were going to do in college. However, your teammates that you're leading, you have a couple of guys like a John Jenkins who's been in the NBA for five years before can tell you, don't do that. Yeah. Uh, you probably shouldn't eat that. Yeah. Uh, you probably should get up a little earlier. So Probably shouldn't go out tonight. You probably shouldn't, you know, exactly. Absolutely. And and that's what Eric Mika, Pooh Jetter, uh, John Jenkins has provided for this group. And like I said before, it doesn't always result in winning, but it did this last time, 130 to 113 over College Park. Yeah. Um, 10 and 16 on the year, as I said before, they're headed to Texas next to take on the Legends. Um, Amari Hardy is a Texas legend. Is Jaden Hardy? Amar, they're both on Texas. Well, Jaden, I know is he's with Dallas. With now. Dallas he goes, now, he goes but they back were. and forth. Yeah, but they were. Man, yeah, man. And and Amari had a. I was watching highlights. Uh, this is maybe like a month ago. I was just watching highlights, and he had one game with Texas where he just. I don't know what he ate that day. He he had one of those moments, and I was like. Are you wearing red or blue right now? Like, what is, <laughs> what, I feel like I, I've seen this before. But uh, leaving um, basketball talk for right now, and now we're headed into some hockey talk. We're headed into we're headed into the nights, and, and with my guy Matt out of out of action tonight, Joey, you're kind of going to lead us in this conversation in terms of of Vegas. But um, we, we always talk about measuring stick games, right? And it, it's especially in 
these professional sports leagues, anytime you see a team on the opposite side, and when I say opposite side, I mean AFC, NFC, I mean Eastern Conference, Western Conference, and that's exactly what we got in this most recent matchup when Vegas took on Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, uh, they, they get a 4-3 win. They get it in overtime. Jonathan Quick is between the pipes again. There's plenty of different things you can you can run with in terms of this particular game. But where do you want to start? Uh, we'll start with Jonathan Quick. Let's do it. Honestly, um, Jonathan Quick, a huge pickup for them. Um, let's, we won the clock three, four years ago when mm -hmm. Vegas was an expansion team. Um, granted, the Vegas Golden Knights swept the Kings that year. Jonathan Quick was a huge difference maker. Um, and Jonathan Quick was a fantastic uh, veteran goalie. Um, for the uh, Los, almost the Sacramento, <laughs> the Los Angeles Kings. You're not the only one. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I think that's kind of what the Golden Knights have been lacking the past couple of years. I mean, Mark Andre Fleury was a was a fantastic goalie for them, but his age would show uh, towards the back half of the season. Um, Logan Thompson's been great, but again, you know, kind of how I said earlier, his youth would show a lot of games. Um, so v Vegas has just kind of had a, had a goalie problem, I think, since Mark Andre Fleury, and I think Jonathan Quick was the uh, the the most affordable and the goalie that made the most sense for them to, to go out and get. This is someone who had played in their division before, um, and this is someone who has a lot of great veteran experience and was, a, again, a fantastic goalie um, for the Los Angeles Kings, and I think he's only going to continue to improve as the season goes on. Um, and you look at this game with Tampa Bay, I believe they trailed 3-1, and they, they, they come back at three straight goals, winning that one 4-3. That's a huge win against a tough, very, very, very tough Eastern Conference opponent. Um, you know, this is a team that... If you, if you go the, three, they were up three one. I'm sorry, they were up three one. They were up three one. Up three one in this one. They they had a three one lead. Yep. Oh, and then so Tampa almost. It's yep. like flashbacks from San Jose a couple years ago. Yeah, exactly. uh, but still, okay, at least they at least they held on to the lead this time. Um, but again, this is a team that you could very well be seeing here in, in, in June if you go and make the the run on the west side of things. You could be seeing a team like Tampa, and you could be seeing a team like Boston potentially, who has been just so dominant uh, this season. Um, but this I, I want to hop in for one brief moment really quick uh, Before you get to the next point Going back to Tampa Bay, right? And you talked about this is a team that you could see in June How great would that be? Right? If this were to happen I covered that game What was it? A little over a week ago now? Yeah Where Tampa came here And shout out to Salim Dweck Our Florida man fact checker Who we need to have back in building soon um, I, I took him to that game and he's he's obviously gonna gonna be covering some games for us probably next year. So he was learning the ropes. And keep in mind, you know how that first period went. Six combined goals in that first period. We were looking at each other by the end of it, like, is this the greatest hockey game like ever? <laughs> like, are we are we in the middle of history right yeah. now? Yeah, we gonna then, win this history tonight, right? And then you have this overtime victory. How great! What keep in mind, it's two victories too for the for the for the night. So that's a good boost for them. But how great would that be? I think that would be great. I mean, these are teams that I think match up fairly well against each other, and I think that is a, a six- to seven-game series. If you draw Boston, on the other hand, oh, that may be a four-game <laughs> series. And that's kind of what's going to be the challenging part is can Tampa get past Boston? And I think Tampa has the experience. I mean, this Tampa team has won two Stanley Cups in the last four or five seasons, yep. um, and this team has been on the, the front end of the standings on the eastern side of, of the conference year in and year out. So if anyone is going to give Boston a run for their money or if anyone in that side is going to go toe-to-toe with Boston, it's not Carolina. I think it's going to be Tampa Bay. And I don't think it's a question that Tampa pulls off an upset there and you get a Vegas-Tampa Bay-Stanley Cup final, which I think personally would just be electric and would be no question be a 6-7 game series just blowing and trading punches throughout 
So, I mean, now that you said that, I kind of want to go back to the goaltending point that you were just making with Jonathan Quick. This group, and, and I got to be honest with you, I, I, it happened last year with the Aces. Um, and, again, me and, me and Joey are just telling each other just random little fun facts about each other. But uh, I grew up a Packer fan. Yeah. So I tell people all the time, I don't like to talk about Packer expectations before I got into this field because I truthfully felt like we had a shot every year. Yeah. So I didn't want to jinx it. And – the thing is, here in Vegas, I feel like I, I do that. Whenever there's, like, a real legitimate chance for a championship, I try not to put the pressure on the situation because it's already there. It happened with the Aces last year, and hopefully I don't get too many Vegas Golden Knight fans excited right now, but I kind of have that feeling now when it comes to the Knights. I don't know how far they can go, but I definitely, after this Jonathan Quick move, I, I, I did text Matt and say, all right. Now we might be in business. I, I agree with you. Um, I think with the acquisition of Jonathan Quick, this out of the six seasons they've been here, they got a better chance than any other year to do it. I mean, no one really expected it year one, and it felt like their luck was going to kind of run out at some point, and it did in the Stanley Cup final. You win game one, and then you lose four in a row um, to a very good Washington Capitals team. And I think this season, no question that they have they have the pieces, they have the depth, they have the experience, and now they have a legitimate goaltender. Um, to go the distance so but the thing with hockey is unlike the NBA you see these 8-1-7-2 upsets a lot more often than you do like in the NBA like you see a one seed and it's like they're gonna go to the conference finals probably more than likely right um, and in hockey you, talking about Tampa Tampa got swept four years ago as the one seed and they had tied the record for I think one of the best records in the NHL mm -hmm. and they got swept in round one so and again, Vegas, a, a team that year one goes to the Stanley Cup final. So you see St. Louis in um, 2019 was last place in February. They win the Stanley Cup in June. So you see these upsets and you see these kind of uh, Cinderella stories happen a lot in the NHL. So you also can't rule that out. But looking at the depth and the pieces that this Golden Knights team has, I think they can definitely make a run for the Stanley Cup this year and they have a better chance than the other year. And Matt actually pointed out something right now again matt is in our is in our facebook comments right now and we're gonna get to the penalty minutes in one moment but before we do that matt wants to give everybody a quick little uh tidbit of information vegas has dressed six different goalies for a game this year which is now a franchise record for goalies dressed in a single season and we still have time to go yeah. So just to kind of give you an idea of, of what this group has gone through this year, especially dealing with injuries. But you, you, you talk about a potential playoff matchup. And regardless of the pl potential playoff matchup, this building, and especially the last time Tampa Bay was here, uh, or, yeah, the last time Tampa Bay was here, I talked about it with Bruce Cassidy, or, and, or actually maybe Bruce talked about it during the press conference, and he said it felt like a playoff game. The energy felt like it. The game was contested like it. And now fast forward to this one. And now you have a combined 146 penalty minutes. I'm not going to lie to you. I had to double and triple check that. When, when I got the notification, I just... Are you sure? I was, bro, whose <laughs> intern is just typing away, just typing numbers, pointless Some, numbers? Someone messed is. up here. Fam. I, <laughs> and then this is when I knew it was wrong. Matt texted me and was like, guess the penalty minutes. And I said, you know what's funny? I said, I don't have an answer for you, but I know it's a triple-digit number. And he yeah. said, you know what? 
He said it is. And I think it just kind of adds more validity to what you said before. These are two teams that are the two of the better teams in this league vying for the opportunity to be two of the best teams in this league. And to be quite honest, my humble opinion is these are two playoff teams that have seen each other a little too frequently. Yeah, that That's just what it is. These are two teams that don't see each other at all. And now you make them see each other in about a week and a half time. Yeah. This is what this is what you're gonna get. Yeah, I think um, I think it's that would be a very entertaining series. And Vegas, Vegas and Tampa, kind of since Vegas has gotten to the league, has always kind of been a a thrilling matchup. Um, since 2017, all the way fast forwarding now to to 2013, that has kind of been a a a game that I think both those teams circle on their calendars, and I think that a lot of fans circle on their calendars and look forward to. Well, Vegas fans need to be circling a lot more on that calendar because they are 39, 20, and six on the year. They have 84 points in the specific division, but they are currently tied with the LA Kings. So I know my dad is probably <laughs> watching this this live stream right now, like, yeah, baby. But um, to be honest with you, I've said it before, this team, I, I don't believe that they will lose their lead on the Pacific Division, even if it's momentarily. I think they'll uh, um, win it, ultimately. Um, and I think they'll win it with, without without much to worry about in the last week and a half, almost two weeks. Uh, that's just my humble opinion. What this team does in the postseason it has been the biggest question mark for this group, and especially with Bruce Cassidy now being here, I, I think the sky is the limit. And the, the sad part is for the Vegas Golden Knights, I think their fans believe it too. And as much as and as and much as ha- I know, if it doesn't happen, the the disappointment and the yeah, man, yeah. It, that that's my only that's my only fear for this group. This group will forever be saddled with being Vegas's first professional team. And I, my only downfall for this team in most years, it was injuries last year, but in most of these years, I've pointed to the fans. Yeah. And I've said, and this is weird because I, I, I typically wouldn't blame. I remember I tweeted out during one of the Raider games, um, in every situation where I said the Raiders couldn't afford to lose this game, the Raiders lost this year. One Raider fan was like, then stop saying it. I quoted his tweet and was like, so I'm the reason, is what you're saying. Like, <laughs> So I just want you to know that you're saying I'm the reason. <laughs> um, and, and that's kind of what I feel about Vegas and these Vegas fans that may be at the house saying, so I'm the reason. I'm going to say yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you are the reason. I truthfully believe it. Because this group, we've seen this group. You, you talked about it before. This This inaugural run for this group, A, we've never seen it before. Yeah. B, I don't think we'll see it again. (laughs) So it's one of those things to where that happened. There was a certain level of spoiledness that came with it. And unfortunately, I think there's a certain level of unrealisticness that comes to it. And the Knights aren't here yet. But I've said it before. The Knights are going to have a downward slide for about a good four-year stretch. And unfortunately, whatever lashing that this team takes from his fan base, I think it's going to be a wake-up call for a lot of the fan base. Because you're going to look at some members of this fan base and you're going to question if they're really fans. And it, it probably just comes with the territory of learning not only a team, but learning a sport. Yeah. One one quick thing Yep. before we move on here yep. is one team I want to say I am worried about Uh-oh. Uh, if you are the Vegas Golden Knights. It's not the Kings. It's not the Kraken. A team that scares me in that division is Edmonton. Yeah, Edmonton and Seattle. They're they're both sitting with eighty points. They're right. They're breathing on Vegas two, and LA's name. Two two wins away. Uh, two wins and two losses away um, from from t- overtaking that spot. But also, if they do sneak into the playoffs, if they 
do get past LA or Edmonton does get over Seattle and they sneak into the playoffs, that's a team if I'm Vegas, I do not want to face is Edmonton. And for the whole sole reason being how great Connor McDavid is, I understand there's, you know, other guys out there on the ice, but that that's a team I don't want to play. And also going up to Edmund Edmonton and playing road games, that's a place you don't want to go up and play. And I'm gonna make this twenty times worse with Vegas go tonight fans. What you just did the unrealistic Vegas go tonight fans that I'm speaking about can't do that. They can't do that. No. They can't look at a team and be like, in all honesty, I don't really want to play them. It's okay. Yeah, it's like, all right. it's, it's, a, it's, it's part of being a sports exactly. fan. Exactly. And, it, it, and for those of you at home that are trying to wonder and figure out what Joey and I are describing, picture Cowboy fans <laughs> for every sport. Exactly. It's the wildest thing you've ever seen. Picture Cowboy fans if they never won. It's the wild like you 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 gotta at some point like again not I'm a Celtics fan I pray the Knicks do not have that seventh seed because I do not want to play the Knicks in the first round I still think we win that series but you New York do. New York <laughs> New York will wear us down that's a that's a tough that's a tough first round opponent and Vegas sense I do think Vegas could lose that series Vegas could get beaten in six in that series I think. That's, that's that's not what these they don't want to hear uh, that yeah, yeah not that's, that's like not that. what these diehard I'm gonna be BGK on a lot of fans. I'm gonna be on a lot of hit lists tonight with the UNLV and uh, <laughs> you know what and I'm gonna be honest <laughs> I think we're safe and shout out to Matt because they're probably watching him in the comments right now it's Matt yeah Matt gets it the, yeah. the Knights were in first place last year in November and he said this team won't make the playoffs <laughs> I almost cut the mics off bro I was like dog <laughs> this is over we're not this is you're wrong and. Lo and behold, <laughs> Matt must know his team, man. Matt, Matt must know the team that he's <laughs> embedded with because I don't, I don't think this guy has been wrong in the last two or three years. Uh, but you, you said that you don't think Carolina is going to be the team that necessarily knocks Boston off their perch, but we'll see if they can knock Vegas off of theirs. They're seeing Vegas next on Saturday. That is March 11th. That's tomorrow, 4 p.m. The Knights are 1-1 one one on this road trip so far. You got anything else on it? Chance to go two and one tomorrow. Uh, I like their chances against Carolina. Again, um, the East is a tough conference. Granted, you know these guys got to go through a gauntlet playing each other, but I think Vegas can go around and, and steal a win up in Carolina. That's not a team in the East I'm worried about. The teams in the East that I'm worried about are, are Tampa Bay, and I think Boston's a pretty unanimous decision. I mean, if, if Vegas Golden Knight fans can't sit there and say that they're not worried about Boston, a potential Stanley Cup matchup with them, then I mean they've truly lost it. But I think Carolina. Given the road games that they have, they've won this season, and statistically, the past two years they've been, at least last season, they were better on the road than at home. They, yeah. they, they were struggling at T-Mobile for a while. So yep. this is a game that I think they can go up and win. And and completely random for you, um, Riley Smith was asked this question first month of the season, maybe second month of the season. Um, nah, I lied. I think it was second or third month. And somebody asked him about the Vegas flu, right? And and was like, do you feel like that's kind of creeping back? I've never seen Riley shut down a question so fast. He was like, I haven't seen that in a couple of years. Yeah. In my mind, I was like, all righty then. Let's go ahead and uh, see what else is on the docket to talk about. He was like, Doug, I don't even know if that's even real here anymore. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree. And going back to your point, and and, and here's where I, I can hopefully get Vegas go tonight fans off my back a little bit. I have seen it pretty be pretty unanimous there that Boston looks like not only the best team, but they look like similar to what you said before. Unless Tampa or unless Vegas can, not too many people look like they're gonna stand in Boston's no. way. The crazy thing is, if you listen to Bruce Cassidy talks talk, 
it sounds like the team and, and, and him are kind of this is this is what we're looking at. No disrespect to these other groups, but this is the team. It, this is the standard of this league, clearly. And I think Bruce Cassidy wants it. And also I think the NHL wants wants a once a Vegas Boston final where Bruce Cassidy's going up against his, his former team. Granted, that I may be a, a very quick series, but I think um the storyline perspective of it, that's something that they both want. And I swear we're done with hockey talk after this, but I got a question for you. Um, we talked about head coaches, right? Lindy is somebody who will tell me off the record if I need it, but Bruce Cassidy would tell us, right? Like, if that were to happen, Bruce Cassidy would tell us, like, nah, I'm a little pumped for this one, right? He would be yeah. the one, right? Yeah, I feel like Bruce, Can- Bruce Cassidy would be the one to be like, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. This one's circled on my calendar, no doubt. I think he might bring the calendar to the press conference. Like, see, I've been waiting. Like, just, wait in, for this one right just in case. This might have been just in case it was Boston on the schedule. I've been waiting for it. Uh, but Matt, first of all, we appreciate you for uh commenting still through the Facebook Live. We know that you're working right now. You know Matt had an eleven hour shift today. Damn. I don't hey, know how he did it. Hey, hey, respect know. to Matt, man. Matter of fact, I think he might have just got off. So shout out to my guy Matt. He said Carolina and St. Louis are two teams that he's paying attention to and two teams that that are on his radar. But I think like, as you said before, unanimously everybody's looking at Boston kinda as the big bad wolf. Um You guys know I I, I like using the the art of silence on, on this on this radio show. And I took a pause because this is with no disrespect. Uh, you guys are meeting another face of the media company right here in Joey Gallegos. And Joey's going to start writing for us very soon. Um, I don't think you've written a story for us yet, have you? Uh, I don't think so. I don't no. think you've written a story for us. But obviously he's been doing back and forth for quite some time with us. Um, again, this is no disrespect to the sport, but we just don't have the bodies to cover it. And because of that, our coverage is almost from a fan standpoint in this one. And if you want my fan standpoint on the XFL, dog, we need a win. <laughs> and, and, and I know you guys come to this show for our, our, our brilliant analysis, right? Let me pat ourselves on the back. I don't have it. I don't got it. And, you know, not to get too, uh, too many, uh, Vegas Viper fans out there, if they exist, not to get, uh, oh God. not to get too That's grim so here. Um, I don't even know if this team lasts another season in Vegas, to be real with you. Um, looking at their situation, me and Terrell were kind of talking it off, talking about it uh, pre-show off-air. Um, the situation they're in, playing at Cashman Field, for one, that's just embarrassing. Um, they, they look like they're they're playing at a high school field, and the, the, the team's locker room is out, coming out of the – they're walking out of the, dug, the dugout for, for baseball. Yep. Uh, um, but, yeah, like – you know, we were talking about it off air. This this team clearly, or the, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, or whoever was in charge of putting a team here, did not do their due diligence, did not do their homework. Granted, um, knowing how tough the Raiders are to work with, sometimes that them playing there was never going to happen. Like, let's not lie to ourselves. They were never they were never going to play at Allegiant Stadium. Never on the table. The idea was we're going to go play at Sam Boyd. And again, this is something a lot of people I don't think are aware of. As long as UNLV wants to play at Allegiant, UNLV being the owners of Sam Boyd Stadium. Sam Boyd Stadium is not allowed to be in use at all. So they can't play at Sam Boyd Stadium. So that leaves you with Cashman Field and Las Vegas Ballpark. You can't play at Las Vegas Ballpark because XFL season runs through minor league baseball season. So then that leaves you with Cashman Field or Bishop Gorman High School, which I think Bishop Gorman honestly might have been a better option. I didn't want to say it. But <laughs> yeah. I, and by the way, shout, and I'm, I'm, I swear I'm going to let you get back to your point. Shout out to the LA Times. I went to Bishop Gorman for my first time to cover 
uh, L.A. Times in modern day. Yeah. And I went. And it's nuts. Got to be honest with you, bro. I walked on campus, and this was my first time there. I called Matt immediately and was like, I get it. <laughs> like, I, I finally get it. Like, I, I told him, this is one of the things you have to see to believe. Yeah. I said, this looks like our UNLV Recreation Center. Yeah. Like, I don't. I, I, how is this a high school? And, and for years, their football their football complex was nicer than UNLV's until they got the Fertitta complex. Um, but but going, Tony, yeah. But going to the Vegas Vipers, you know they, they've got some names on that roster like Martavius Bryant, uh, starting off zero and three. Um, I mean, for the for the sake of pride, at least you got you got to pick up a win at some point, and you also got to get some butts in the seat. And from a marketing standpoint, I mean, I don't think they're doing a really good job of getting people's attention here in Vegas. Um, I truly do love the idea of the XFL. I think I the format they're going on is really entertaining. You saw a game with St. Louis a couple weeks ago where they're down 10 with two minutes left and they come back and win because of the – if you score a touchdown, you get a chance to get the ball back on fourth and 15, and if you convert on that, then you start moving up the field and you get a chance to win the game there. If you're down 10, you got a touchdown on the previous possession. Um, I love that rule. I love how different uh, the XFL is, you know. Um in 2000, when it was Vince McMahon doing it, you know, 20 years ago, it was kind of um, promoted as the extreme football league, as the the hits and how how you know pretty much is just players giving each other CTE for for 60 minutes. To now, it's kind of the the rules are going off of it and how different it is. And I really love the idea of it, but in terms of how they're doing it in Vegas, there's to be blunt, they just gotta they gotta get their shit together. Um, in terms of from marketing to, to venue to winning winning football games, they, they got a lot of work to do. And I really hope it lasts here, but if I had to put my money on it, I don't think they last another season here. I have bad news for you then, at least just in terms of my prediction. You said that they have to get their shit together. And if, if you said literally from the top to bottom yeah. here in Vegas, the bottom level was winning a football game. <laughs> it's not happening this weekend. I just want to let you know they're headed to D.C. Yeah. to play the Defenders, which is the best team in the XFL. Not to mention, this is the team that they've already lost to. So yeah. they already lost to this team 18-6. Rob Wilson, after the game, uh, really kind of talked about that second half and said that just wasn't us in the second half. I'm waiting to see something different from this group. And I hate to say that Joey's right, guys, and I know you guys may hate to hear that Joey's right, but – it does boil down to logistics. I know you guys are like, oh, well, they need to win football games. They need to win the football games too. But this is kind of a part of being set up to win. We talk about it all the time. It's more than just a head coach's job when it starts to manifest itself in this sense. You talk about marketing, right? You talk about the venue. Yeah. You talk about just certain things. It looks like the ball was dropped and not by any of the players, and not by Rod Woodson. It goes back to what you said before, whether The Rock did it himself yeah. or his team, which I'm pretty sure he has one, whoever was in charge of getting it together in Vegas, you didn't do your due, your due diligence. <laughs> and I'm kind of with Joey. It's one or two reasons why you didn't do it. Either you didn't care to do it, or you really thought Allegiant Stadium was an option. Or, again, you're like, that doesn't work. Sam Boyd is we're gonna go play a Sam Boyd and again that's kind of where that they didn't do their homework or they right. didn't do their, they didn't do their due diligence because if you did you know your options are Allegiant or Cashman and Allegiant's not gonna fuck it's not gonna happen so your option is Cashman and they land on Cashman <laughs> and there, there, there goes that I will say this um, Joey let's talk again week six deal 
Week six? Let's talk again week six because I don't think they're getting a win this week. But they got the Orlando Guardians in week five. And here's what I'm hoping for. Don't laugh. I'm laughing at the name. <laughs> I'm not laughing at you. you I'm, I'm laughing at the Orlando And I don't even Guardian. like doing this, but you're going to laugh even harder at the logo. Oh, my God. That looks like um, that looks exactly like Chicago State's logo. It does. It looks exactly like Chicago State's logo. So tell me why that's a guard. Never mind. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I bet you the Cleveland baseball team is looking like that's not what ours is. <laughs> um, Something's got to give by week five because the 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 Vipers are one of two teams in this XFL league. They don't have a win. Yeah. Orlando's the other team. So I think by week five, Vegas has to have a win. That's my bet. Is that here in Vegas? It is here in Vegas. You want to go as a family? You know, what? I, I like it. Let's get let's get Matt there. I think that's a good chance that they get their week one or not week one, but they get their first win of uh, um, the season there. That's a good chance. That's if, Orlando, if Orlando's still winless, you go into that game, Cashman Field, you get at least two thousand people in there. You might, you I'm might steal it. a win. <laughs> I'm, I might walk in with a pat with a paper bag over my head. Like I'm not, I'm like not a, working. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan, dog. The thing is, and this is what's so funny, and we're gonna move on after this. And the interesting thing is, we have football the rest of the show, and we'll end it. Uh, but the interesting thing is about what we just said is, I don't get to be a fan often. Yeah. Like, well, we none of us really get to be a fan often because of what we do. I fully embrace being a fan now. Like, I appreciate what we do so much to the point to where Matt and I went to uh, the IFL championship game. You got to go with us this year. Maybe the maybe the Nighthawks are playing in it. Um, but we went, and I'm pretty sure that people were looking at us and were like, who is this guy rooting for? <laughs> Dog, I don't care. You just want to have fun, man. Dog, Northern Arizona, I've seen them three times, so yeah. I kind of know these guys. Yeah. Quad City, I don't even know where you guys are from, <laughs> but it's lit. Yeah. I don't have a dog in the fight. Yeah. I kind of get a chance to be a, a Vegas Viper fan. I think I want to go. And and I can relate to that because I think this year, just kind of talking about UNLV working, mm-hmm. working with the athletic department, yep. last night was my first time in the Thomas & Mack Center as a fan in about 18 months as a fan in 18 months. And I think that Holy. I, I could not have been more close to my nine, 10 or 11 year old self than I was last night in terms of That's how deep. intense I was getting up after a call, like just obnoxiously screaming. <laughs> and it even goes back to December uh, earlier this year when I got to go see the Celtics and Lakers play. I had my brother had just taking videos <laughs> of the way I was acting, but I had not seen myself act like that. In such a long time at a right. sporting event, and I think Matt can kind of uh, attest to it here a little bit. Going to UNLV games like a year and a half, two years ago, where I'm like, I'm just sitting there and I look like I don't want to be there. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And now, and now working in sports a little bit, not having a chance to be a fan and working these games. You know, um, me working um, um, with game presentation in Toronto, obviously working with media. Right. You have to, you have to be neutral. Like I can't sit there. Although I'm wearing a UNLV polo, I can't sit there and and start going like this when. <laughs> Uh, you know, someone hits a three-pointer, you know, if he gets a touchdown, I can't start swinging my arms, and, right. and Terrell certainly can't start doing doing the same thing sitting with with folks in the media. Um, so getting getting a chance to be a fan again and not have those restrictions on you, like it it, def, it definitely feels like it feels good. You Do just, you want to know your co-host's opinion on some of the things we've been saying recently? Uh, I would love to hear what Matt's got. I always love to hear what Matt's got to say. He wants to confirm that we're trying to drag him to Cashman Field. <laughs> <laughs> he he has commented at least two or three times with a question mark. Just I want to be sure 
We're talking about Cashman, right? Like, you guys want me to go to Cashman. <laughs> so, it might be us, brother. <laughs> it yeah, might it might just be, be me and Terrell. I don't think, I don't think Matt's going to make that trip to, Matt, to Cashman Field. if you could please comment right now, because Matt hates the MGM Grand Garden Arena, which – you got to come to one. Which one? I'm either dragging you to the MGM or I'm dragging you to Cashman. So, pick one. Oh, that's, that's a tough – Mm, that's nope, a tough pick one. one. I, I'd probably, my opinion, I think Matt would. I think Matt goes with Cashman. He, I think he, he does. He, he really, he really. Matt's hate, Matt's hate for MGM Grand Garden Arena is, is truly like anything else, man. He gets up extra early in the morning to to, to hate on MGM, and it, you know what the reason is why he hates it? Please, please add to it. It's the uh, the 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 food stands in there. Like the the wallpapers are like really bad, and that that's that's his beef with MGM Grand and Garden Arena is the. The the brick concourse walls and the um the wallpapers the concession stands have that's Matt's oh beef with the MGM Grand Garden. I have never. And I, lo- been, I love it. I love him for it. I have never been more ready to end a radio show right now. Like I just <laughs> I want to end it right. I am literally crying right now. You know he did not want to go to the Las Vegas Clash once he found no, out that he it was did not want to go. He did not want to be there. Bro, I am in tears right now, bro. <laughs> I love the MGM, dog. And and the funny thing is, every reason why he hates it is why I love it, bro. <laughs> he said he would rather go to Silverado High School's football field before he goes to either one of those places. So it gives you an idea. Dog, I'm crying. <laughs> Good gosh, bro. But every reason why he hates it is why I love it. Yeah. I walk into the MGM I smell 1990s boxing. Like yeah. I just I feel away when I walk in there, but I completely get why he hates it. Oh my gosh, bro! Good God! Now <laughs> we have fun topics the rest of the way. We don't even have any games to break down. This right. is the fun stuff now. Uh, but since we're talking about football, this is the perfect time to let you guys know that we are a little over. What is that, what, Joey? Was that 19 hours over? Yep. 19 hours away from being exactly two weeks away from the start. Of the Indoor Football League. So Mike Davis and company, the Vegas Nighthawks, are, are locking into the Dollar Loan Center once again. And this is a place where they went 3-5 and five last year. They're opening the year against the Iowa Barnstormers. I got to be honest with you, a group that, again, um, you're unsure of what you're going to get, obviously. They were an expansion team last year. But you look at them this year, and Northern Arizona, who won it all last year, I believe they won three games pardon three games the year before so uh, i talked to head coach mike davis about it and i was like that has to give you some confidence right yeah. like considering this league is you're, you're able to flip this league yeah. it's it's very possible and i also talked to him about the ifl championship is in this building for the next couple of years you want to yeah. get one of these right yeah. so that that's definitely something that he talked to me about and we'll have that story drop before the season starts but i'm very very excited to see what this season holds yeah i'm looking forward to it you know i've not to be honest i've not been following the vegas nighthawks exactly uh i did get a chance to go to a game last season it was cool. a lot of fun i love the the concept of arena football um and you know i look forward to to hopefully catching a couple games this season and whether it's uh with Terrell or getting the chance to be a fan again, you know, that's something I'm definitely looking forward to. And I, I love I love the Dollar Loan Center as well. Um, yeah, man. I think I think it's a great venue. A lot of people at Henderson were like complaining about it because they're like, oh, it's gonna be traffic and what but anyway, <laughs> um, you know I'm Joey. Yeah, I I, I uh I, I love the venue and I love it, you know, going there to 
watch the Running Rebels play, yep. uh, go to see the Big West tournament, um, to go see the Silver Knights play, and now having um, an indoor league football team there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up going to a few indoor football leagues here in Vegas when they used to play at the Thomas and Mack Center. So, you know, again, I love the concept of it. It's a lot of fun. And uh, looking forward to this season. And hopefully down the line you, you go out and get a championship because it is in your building. So that, that, that's got to motivate you to go out at least get one. Yeah. I mean, I'm completely with you. And, and everything that you said about the, the Dollar Loan Center is something that I'm not going to lie. This is why I love doing doing just radio as a whole because sometimes the conversation takes a left that you don't expect to take. Um, give me your top three venues in Vegas to watch a sporting event. Thomas and Max Center. Okay. A Bi- little bit biased, but I'm going to go Thomas and Max Center. I like it. I'm biased, too. I like it. Dollar, Lens- Dollar Loan Center, definitely, too. Okay. Three, this might be a hot take. I don't I don't think so. Las Vegas Ballpark. No, it's not a hot take. Yeah. Because maybe people were expecting, like, Mandalay Bay or MGM Grand or, or T-Mobile. Um, I'm going to go Las Vegas Ballpark. I'm not a huge baseball fan. But I, can- I can tell you one thing. The only time I've had a lot of fun watching baseball is at Las Vegas Ballpark. It's an experience. It's it, it is it is for a minor league team. It is truly an amazing venue, and I really I genuinely get excited to go to a Las Vegas Ballpark game, whether it's with Matt or some other friends or or Matt Dom and Aiden and all those guys. I really look forward to going to Las Vegas. There, nothing beats it. <laughs> Throwing out the 110 degree weather during the summer, <laughs> uh, um, I, I definitely look forward to it. And we're going to obviously be doing a lot more with them considering they're, they're, they've been a, a, a running sponsor of this media company for the last two years. So shout out to Don Logan and company over at the Las Vegas ballpark. They're number two on my list. So I'm, yeah. I'm with you on that one. What, what's your what's your top three? Number one, I got the T-Mobile arena. T-Mobile? I got T-Mobile. I, T-Mobile, it seems like you're sitting on top of each other. Yeah. Which is why I like what you everything you said about the Dollar Loan Center because it's like you're sitting on top of each other. Except it's more intimate. Yeah, it's just a lot smaller. So the way that the that, that the sound almost tends to bounce off the walls in a T-Mobile, it does it in a lot shorter frequency in the Dollar Loan Center. So as you said before, when a Dollar Loan Center is rocking, it's different. Yeah. It's a different energy. Yeah. So number one for me is, and I feel like my number three always changes, but number one for me is um, T-Mobile. why did I just blank? It's T-Mobile. Number two is the Las Vegas ballpark. Number three, because of nostalgic reasons, I like the Thomas and Max Center. You know why T-Mobile is not on the list? Why? Parking. That's why T-Mobile is not on the list is because of parking. Hey, dog. (laughs) If that's the case, then Sam Boyd is where? Sam Boyd ranks at the bottom if that's the case. I'm with you. I agree. (laughs) I agree. Um, (laughs) Nah, I'm not. I was going to move on, but let's do it real quick. Why wasn't Allegiant in your top three? That's a good point. I will say Allegiant is not my top three because, for me, the only time I've been there for Raiders games, the f- five times I've been there for Raiders games, I was working with Fox Sports. Okay. So I'm not really there in the um, – I'm not experiencing it as a fan. I'm working. Although okay. I'm having fun. It's cool. Right. I'm experiencing it as, as – You're focused. You, yeah. Yeah, your tunnel right. vision. Um, <clears throat> the reason why it's not there is because I've gone there as a fan for UNLV football. Okay. And it yep. doesn't – we're throwing out the atmosphere and everything. It does not feel like a home game for UNLV football. And it's not because there's other, there's more fans of the opposing team. It feels like UNLV basketball playing at T-Mobile arena. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like and we were talking about earlier uh, off the air. There's one red wall in that building. There's one plaque in there that has UNLV's name on it. And both of those things are right outside the locker room. That I didn't realize, but yeah. you're absolutely right. It doesn't say UNLV anywhere else in the right. building. 
slept but, there. So it just it don't feel like home. And Sam Boyd, Sam Boyd was was a dump, but man, it felt like home. It did. It did. It, so, it's almost like we we all know that. Like, yeah. Especially like be me being here in college. My first apartment here. Yeah. Yeah, it, it didn't look the hottest, but dog, I lived alone. It didn't matter. <laughs> it didn't matter, brother. I had my big screen, my dog, it was lit. Um, and, and Matt, I completely agree with you. Matt is in the comments right now. He says every time he walks into the Thomas and Mack Center, he hears Dick Calvert's voice in the back of his head. So it, it, it's almost impossible not to not to feel nostalgic in that building. Um, and, and just to go back to my, region, my reason why Allegiant isn't in my top three, uh, I remember when SummerSlam was there when it first opened. And they said that obviously we saw Twitter blowing up with how much of a disaster it was. But a couple things panned out, uh, stand, stood out to me. Uh, Adam Hill talked about not being able to hear the PA. Up until late last season, we couldn't hear the PA. Really? So, yeah, like it's even in the press box, the Raider game is probably where it sounds the best. But even then, it's certain times where you're kind of leaning next to people like, <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> like, did you hear what the referee just called right yeah. now? Because I can't hear it. Yeah. And then with pyros, pyrotechnics, in in a legion, you don't get to have as many in in a, in a lot of these events, especially if you watch if um if you guys are, are, are uh, wrestling watchers, that's what this event is. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fireworks. Every wrestler is going to have fireworks at some point, and. I think that takes away from it. There wasn't it, even a stage for SummerSlam. They just came out of the 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 left side locker rooms and it was just a walkway. There wasn't even a stage for So that unfortunately I think I think Allegiant will get there. I do because yeah. I think over time they'll start to yeah. add things, even take away certain things. But as of right now, I find it interesting that Allegiant isn't either one of ours. And I'm pretty sure with Matt too, I'm not even sure if it's in, if it if it's in his top three and if it is, it might be third. Uh, well, we know who what is not in Matt's top three: MGM Grand Garden Arena and Cashman Field. We can yeah, we can, we can probably start those adding two, those yeah. to it. We can I'm probably a, add that. I'm gonna guess with Matt, he's gonna go with Mandalay Bay, Thomas and Mac, and Las Vegas Ballpark. That's what I'm gonna roll. That, that's what I think Matt's gonna roll with. I think you might be right, Mandalay Bay. Oh, that's a or really what is it? Uh, it's called Michelob. Yeah, Michelob. Yeah. Honestly. That's the third one that when I told you my third one typically switches. Matt gave me uh, the Michelob Ultra Arena one time, and you're right. Yeah. When 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 it get the thing I like about the Michelob Ultra Arena is not a bad seat for one. Huh? There's not a bad seat to start. Aside from that, the house lights. Oh yeah. When the house lights drop in the back, it almost gives us the same uh, feel as the Barclays Center. Yeah. You can't see anybody in the upper deck, so you have no choice but to focus on what's down here on the floor. And I, I think you might have actually added something into into my top three. Maybe that's my honorable mention. Um, let, let's talk about somebody else in, in terms of, of UNLV football really quick, and then we have one more football topic to get out of here. Did you hear the latest news about Charles Williams? Charles Williams, he I, last I heard of him, he was on the Pittsburgh Steelers practice squad. Yes, sir. So he has been actively trying to get back to football. Yeah. He he came on this show and, and he uh, opened up. Uh, Mike Hughes was actually on the show, too. And he, he talked about coaching. He talked about going into coaching. He would love to coach here at some point. Uh, but he did end that by saying, I don't want you guys to get it misconstrued. I'm working out every day. I'm staying ready. I'm waiting for a call. That call came. The Ottawa Red Black has signed former UNLV running back, the all-time leader in rushing here at UNLV, Charles Williams. He is headed 
to the CFL. I have no other news on this topic besides that. And I, I want to add to that. Talk to me. I think a lot of UNLV running backs have been disrespected by NFL scouts in, in, in the last decade. You look at Charles Williams, you look at Lexington Thomas, and you look at, I'm going to throw a real vintage name out there, Tim Cornette in 2013. Um, those, those three guys were better than a lot of running backs taken in the fifth, sixth, and seventh round. And I think Charles Williams really stands out in that group. Charles Williams could be a really serviceable uh, running back in the NFL right now. And I, I think it's insane that someone who broke the school's rushing record and also broke a lot of Mountain West records, Lexington Thomas did as well, did not get a legitimate real chance in the NFL. And I think this chance uh, with the CFL up in up in Canada um, is going to give him a real chance to kind of show NFL teams that, you know, are because are, say it or not, like, they they do look at the CFL, they do look at the XFL, they do look at uh, the U. What is it? The US, USFL. USFL. Um, they these are like the minor leagues, minor league teams, kind of sort of um, for these NFL rosters. Yep. Um, and I think if he has a good season up there, he deserves a shot with uh, with an NFL team. And I think he'll get that shot because um, I think he's going to prove himself. Like you look at Charles Williams and and what he accomplished in four or five seasons at UNLV. Um, I really, I can't give you a an explanation that makes sense onto why he's not on an NFL team. Cause you go back and look at that draft, you know, let's take a look where running backs drafted from the third and seventh round are now and how they performed in the NFL. And I think Charles Williams honestly might be far, was a top 10 running back in that class. I, I would, I would say he was a hundred percent. And I, I'll take it a step further after this show. And we are wrapping up in 15 minutes or less. I am going to tell you. I can't wait till Charles gives me the okay. I cannot wait, bro. I'm with you. Yeah. I, I'm not sure why a team didn't give him a chance, and there's only one answer in my head as to why it didn't happen, and I'm going to go with COVID. Uh, Gabe McCoy also kind of has some things fall a, 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 kind of out of his favor because of COVID as well. But in, in terms of Chuck, I following the, the Pittsburgh Steeler uh, Ricky Minicamp, he told me that him and his agent was in conversation with one team. And after this show is over, when I tell you the team, you're going to want to punch a wall because you're going to be like, and they never called? Like, you're kidding me that they never called. Because when I heard it, I was like, oh, they'll call. I feel like I got a good idea who it is. You could text me right now, and I'm 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 gonna tell you if you're right. Okay. Cause I'm I'm almost positive you're right. I'm almost positive. I hope right. I'm right. Now now I'm gonna look like an idiot if I'm wrong here. I'm gonna text it to you right now. All right, we gonna see what happens. Uh, but All but right, Charles I, I is it. Charles is headed somewhere. Nope. Nope. I got you. Okay. And once I tell you this, you're gonna be like, oh dog. Oh my. And they never made the call. Get and given their their situation this season. Mm-hmm. Almost accidentally said a name and it would have gave away the team, but um, yeah, that's crazy that they didn't. But it, constant communication, especially towards the the back end of the season, absolutely. As well. And and, it, and it, as you said before, to see kind of where they're headed now, I hope that a lot of teams are looking at Charles Williams in the CFL because considering what we saw here at UNLV. I don't know, man. I just had this conversation too, and Charles is probably going to be like, "What? I need to see a tape." There's one guy. And I know Lex is going to be like, what the hell? But there's one guy from Cerritos College, Keyshawn Holmes. That's the best running back I've ever seen. Keyshawn Holmes? 
number two is Charles Williams. And that's why I know Lex is at the house right now, probably like, hey, duh. Let me explain. But it goes back to what you said before. UNLV has been really, really rich in running backs for quite some time. I'm going to be honest. Since I've been here at UNLV, I haven't seen a bad running back. Yeah. And I got here in 2017. Right. And even this year with, with Aiden Robbins and kind of not even Tony Sanchez being here anymore and, and his age of or, or or his running backs that were on that roster with him no longer being on the team and seeing Aiden Robbins dominate this season. And even Reese, I think, will continue that next season. So, I agree. Um, yeah, I, I, at, at some point, I feel like Aiden Robbins will get love now that he's at BYU, but definitely I feel like just because of uh, – the history of UNLV football, NFL teams don't give them a lot of love. Because even at the receiver end, there's been some good re- – Devontae Davis, Devontae Boyd, there have been a lot of good receivers that came from yep. UNLV that I feel like could have been decent receivers in the NFL. And I think you're looking at one right now with Ricky White, right? Yeah, so, I think mean, Ricky White. You definitely have another one right now. Kyle Williams, if he, if he stayed at – Kyle Williams, I think, will inevitably be an NFL receiver up at Washington State now. But even still now, like you just said, there's still a lot of good uh, talent on that team. I agree. I agree. I agree. Um, I still, Joey. I still haven't told the people where I work yet. All they know is that I bartend. Um, so, w- without saying where I was at, clearly, if you work in a bar, you got some TVs on. I don't know what you were doing when this news broke, but it's. I hate when it happens. I hate when it happens. I hate when it happens. Draft order comes out. Oh, well, this team might trade. Oh, but this team might trade. This team might trade. <laughs> and then weeks, a month goes by. And people like me forget trades are possible. Yeah. <laughs> it, it always happens when everything settles down. It, it, it never fails. Yeah. Dog. And not to mention that, it settled down in the bar that I was at. So it, it was kind of busy. I knocked the bar out. I go to the back. I come coming out. I'm running some food. I literally look up. And I hope no customers were looking at me. I looked up and said, what the fuck? And that was my genuine response. Yeah. Because I said, Carolina needs a QB. Does it need a QB that bad? And here's where we're going. (laughs) Compensation is everything. The Chicago Bears. We're going to talk about them too. The Chicago Bears trade the number one overall pick in next month's draft. To Carolina, to the Carolina Panthers. But what are they getting in return? They're getting everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're getting Carolina's future, man. That's no, literally. Good. They're getting the number number nine overall pick. They're getting a 2023 second-round pick. They're getting a first-round pick in 2024. They're getting a second-round pick in 2025. Oh, yeah, by the way, they traded their best receiver option in DJ Moore. And, Can I just pause for a quick second? Yeah. If I'm DJ Moore, respectfully – So I've been in Washington. I went to Carolina. And now I'm in Chicago. So here's where my athlete friends are going to get mad at me. I've always said this, and this is where my entitlement comes from not actually having to be an athlete and move around to these different cities. You want to play your profession at the highest level. If I'm an NBA player and my career starts in Utah, and you send me to Cleveland, and then I leave Cleveland, and then let's say the Nets when they were in New Jersey, and then you're sending me to Jersey. Yeah. So there was no Miami trips? No, <laughs> let me take Jersey out, because Jersey's, Jersey's the winner. Yeah. I'm a Pacer fan. 
I've You're gonna take me to Indiana to Utah to Cleveland, bro. I'm gonna retire. Yeah, I'm retiring by year seven. I, I, I would this. go maybe like throw, throw, throw Sacramento or maybe even Detroit in there or. <laughs> like Bron said, yeah. bro, you trade me to Orlando. I'm, yeah, Orlando. I'm not yeah, going. I, th- I feel like Orlando might be the <laughs> the better option there. Ironically enough, the the latest mock draft had Bronny going to the Magic, which means Bron. Yeah, <laughs> you better get ready. Exactly. But I mean, yeah, I think the Bears had a home run here. You don't need a quarterback. Um, and I think everyone knew that they were going to get rid of that number one pick. It was inevitably going to happen. And the compensation they got for it was, I don't think any team was going to match that. You need a receiver. Um, here's the thing. I feel like they have good receivers. They don't have a a unanimous number one receiver. Okay. Um, I feel like Chase Claypool is going to have a really good season next year because he's been so used to being the number two receiver. Again, being thrown in midseason, going to a whole different team, learning a whole different new playbook, and now you're the number one receiver, he's going to struggle a little bit, and I feel like that's natural. Now he knows he's the number two receiver. Uh, DJ Moore is going to a lot of the attention, and you still have um, Darnell Mooney, I believe. Yep. They got a solid record uh, of receivers, and I feel like getting DJ Moore there takes the pressure off those guys. Where I think they should do with this ninth overall pick, this may be a hot take. Talk to me. I think you got to go running back. Or you go running back in the second round. I think now you need a running back to also help take that pressure off of um, David Montgomery. Yeah, David Montgomery, and also David Montgomery hasn't been healthy a lot, and you need you Probably need a running. You run him into the ground, <laughs> and you need a running back to take the pressure off Fields and also those three receivers and spread your offense out a little bit. Um, I like this move for Chicago um, since their new GM has gotten there. Uh, I think he's done a fantastic job of kind of turning over this roster and I like this move for them uh, you don't need a quarterback you don't need that number one pick the guys are looking at are probably going to be available in that that eight to twelve range and you go on and get the ninth pick and you get hell of a compensation for it yep. you could very well still have the number one pick again next season getting Carolina's pick you that's ver- where I was going to go to yeah. just confirm one thing for me or tell me I'm wrong Chicago stinks next year right hmm Okay, you're already you're already you're already leading me to a place because I thought they stunk next year. They're not a playoff team, but they don't stink. They're I don't know what your definition of stink is. I think there's five wins or less. Okay, I think they're six and eleven to eight and nine. I think they're in that ballpark. I think with the okay. moves, I think with okay. the moves they've done, I think they can get to a a especially if 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 Rodgers does leave Green Bay. Yeah. You can finally start. You can finally get a win over the Packers for the first time in in a century here. Word. Um, you can get to that six and eleven, eight and nine ballpark. I feel like they're not a playoff team, but I'll go seven and ten. I feel like they're a seven and ten team. If they're if they win seven games, we might have to bet something because I, I I have to give up something if that's the case. I gotta I gotta do something because I don't think they're gonna win seven games. I don't. I I, I I can see it. I mean, I can see them being. A four and thirteen team, they could have the number one and number two pick going into next. That season. would be so great for Chicago. I'm not even gonna <laughs> lie to you. That would, if, even growing up a Packer fan, I would hate to see it, but yeah, I kind of would love to see it. Um, how many more years does Justin Fields have to to be that guy in Chicago? I think he is the guy right now in Chicago. Um, in terms of like being one of the faces of the league, I'd give him three, four more years if Chicago continues to put good pieces around him. But I think right now. He is the face of that that franchise. And For sure. That's, uh, but that's what I'm saying. I guess my question more so is, like, how long does he have? If they don't start producing this year, is he out next year? If he doesn't produce Oh, to next where year, he's he like, I'm yeah. out? This is only year two. I'd give him three more seasons. Three more? Three three or two. Cause that's I say kinda, two. That's just mine. Because that's kind of the, the way um, sports is going out. Like, a lot of, right. like, even Zion Williamson almost won it out in New Orleans this year. A lot of younger athletes are kind of 
um, understanding what they're worth and understanding that, hey, like, I understand I'm still on a rookie contract, but you guys aren't doing doing anything to put pieces around me and make this a contending team. And um, for that reason, I don't want to be here any longer. And that could very well happen to Justin Fields. So I would, I'll give him three seasons, but I could very well see a timetable in two seasons to where if they're not trending in the right direction or they're not at least on the bubble in the playoffs, I can't blame him. And I can definitely see him, you know, being like, hey, you know what, maybe it's time I get out of here. And I, I, I'm, I actually like Justin Fields. So this just goes back. I don't think Chicago is one of those bottom of the barrel teams where I just don't judge quarterback play. They're like before. Um, why am I missing? Before Robert Sala got to the Jets, any quarterback that went through the Jets in the last like 15, maybe after Mark Sanchez, I just I didn't pass judgment. I, yeah. It's a piss poor franchise. I don't know what to judge. Same thing with Carolina, yeah. which is why I feel bad for Bryce Young. I just. I don't know what to judge in terms of quarterback play. You, you talked about it with the Vegas Vipers. I looked at the Jets and I looked at Carolina and I said, you guys have it wrong from the top. Yeah. So I'm not judging anything else until y'all fix the top. And that's that's not necessarily where I feel about Chicago, but I do think Justin Fields is going to be a good quarterback. I just don't know if it'll be for the Bears. Do you think going to the, the Panthers now the, on the Panthers side of the yep, trade, talk to me. do you think they go Bryce Young or C.J.? I think the conversation heats up, obviously, because they trade it. But I think Bryce Young has been kind of unanimous, is the best quarterback prospect. And all I'm going to hang my hat on is what Tashawn Reed said. Somebody said, you got to draft best player available. And he said, BPA is a myth. And it is. I hate you. I hate that that we have to kind of tell you guys that. But it is. All of it is a swing in the dark. Do you think... If you are the Panthers, do you take mm-hmm. do you take Bryce Young or do you take if you're the GM if Terrell is the GM of of the Carolina Panthers, do you go with the do you go with CJ or do you go with Bryce Young? You know what, <laughs> I've been writing clips this whole show, and I'm not gonna write this one, but I hope it ages well because. Me personally, I'm not even even just looking at Bryce Young. Yeah. If I'm just looking at quarterbacks, I like C.J. Stroud the most. I agree with you. Just period. If I'm Carolina, I'm drafting Bryce Young. Because I can't afford to get it wrong. Yeah. That's the safest pick. If C.J. Stroud turns out to be better than Bryce Young, I have to go find this clip. Because <laughs> everything in my gut is telling me C.J. Stroud. If I'm the Raiders at seven, I take C.J. Yeah, he's not going to be there. That's no. the only issue. So that's why I think Anthony Richardson is a, is an, is a, is a viable option. But I like C.J. the most in this draft. That's just my humble opinion. I think I think there was a chance that he could still be there before today's trade. But after today's trade, yeah, he's not. Because Indianapolis, if if whoever whoever Carolina does not take, Indianapolis is going to take. Absolutely. So um, I, I with you. I I'm, I think C.J. is the best. Um, CJ Stroud's the best QB in this draft. That's who I would take number one. Um, I'd be willing to roll the dice there. I know Bryce Young is probably the safest pick, but man, I've seen I've seen a lot from from CJ Stroud uh, over these past couple of seasons on Ohio State, and and I'm pretty sold on him. And I was very high on Justin Fields too. Same I, here. I remember what I'll never forget. Matt has a lot to do with it. I'll never forget what sold me on Justin Fields. Uh-oh. I I went to Matt's house to watch Ohio State and Nebraska. Justin Fields threw a touchdown. He invited you for that? Never mind. Yeah. I don't and, know and why he invited yeah, you for that. I, I, well, it was more of his dad. His dad, had, his dad has false hope every year that Nebraska is going to be a good football team. Okay, cool. As long as it wasn't my yeah. guy, Matt. It, it was 48-6, to six, Ohio State won. I don't think I really <laughs> needed to say who won that game. But anyway, um, 
Justin Fields threw a touchdown pass that game, which in my 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 time of watching football was like one of the top ten best throws I've ever seen. Like in terms of ball placement. Like I believe he, he he could not have thrown a more perfect ball. And I was like, that's when I started my my Justin Fields, my Justin Fields fandom. And I really I was really hoping the Patriots would take him that year in the draft. I was really hoping he was going to fall to New England. Chicago takes him. Um, and you've kind of seen a whole new dynamic of his game with with the rushing attack. And I hope this year you kind of see back to – you go back to how good of a quarterback he really is. Because you look at that film from Ohio State. Um, it was know, there. He, he's good with the option. But, man, he's he's – people don't forget. CJ – I mean, not CJ Stroud. Justin Fields is still a really good quarterback in – I'm excited to see what he does with DJ Moore this year. And going back to uh, what you just said a second ago, just with, with Justin Fields and a perfect ball, he threw one against Clemson in his last college game. And it may have been to Chris Olave. And it, it goes back to what you said before. I, I personally think – I would probably have to go back and watch that that Nebraska throw, but that's the throw that if I go back to Justin uh, Fields' career and it must have hit midnight, uh, that's the that's the, the the play that if I go back to Justin Fields' college career, I look at that that throw and I'm like, that's the one. Yeah. So uh, just to, to, to touch on two points that Matt had before, he gets out of, before we get out of here, he said that he feels like uh, Bryce Young is the better arm talent in, the, in, in terms of the draft, in terms of uh, C.J. Stroud. And he also added that he feels – Chicago is starting to is going to start kind of repairing that offensive line, making sure that Justin is protected. Games are win, won and lost in the trenches, obviously, right? And that's right. pretty much where Matt is going with that. But I wouldn't be mad at that pick either. So no. second round running back, I, I'm, I'm with you. I like yeah. that one a lot. Uh, but let's get to my dad's tip in. And probably by the time we're done reading this tip in, the lights may be back on. Um, and we can go from there. Yeah. So my dad's tip in, kind of two-parter because I did add something. Um, John Jones came back to MMA last week and got what he wanted for what, he, what he's waited for for a long time, and that's the UFC heavyweight championship. It wasn't that long ago that we witnessed the different beasts claim that same title in Francis Ngannou. Now, of course, Francis Ngannou was stripped of the title after he and the UFC failed to come to terms on a new contract. And from the way that Francis Ngannou was talking, we'll probably never see that me- that super fight, that mega matchup between John Jones and Francis Ngannou. However, Francis Ngannou does say that he wishes John Jones the best and that he's made amends with his split from the UFC and he's ready to get his boxing career on track. Even though Francis Ngannou has never boxed before, he's had some big names in mind for his debut. He's said that he's his people have been in talks with the world heavyweight champ Tyson Fury and, of course, former champions Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. He said, but as we've seen in the past, whether it takes months or years, when there's a big fight to be made that the people want to see and that, of course, will produce a mega payday, they usually find a way to make it happen. My dad added, especially if Dana White is in the mix. Now, he ended it by saying never say never. Now, Dad, this is why reading is fundamental, because the first time I must have just ignored that never say never. Because <laughs> I contacted him immediately and was like, Dana wants nothing to do with Francis. Yeah. And my dad said, yeah, but everything. And here goes the lights. My dad said, but everything that I just said in that text in that text with this tip in is exactly why I'm saying that. Yeah. If Dana White or excuse me, if Francis Ngannou and Tyson Fury, for instance, and my dad gave a great point. Next year is the 50th anniversary of the Rumble in the Jungle. Francis Ngannou wants to bring a fight to Africa. Some people have said 
that Tyson Fury is the best moving heavyweight since Ali. My dad is kind of right. Why wouldn't Dana want something want want some sort of piece of that? However, I think just the fact remains, and I guess the question remains, if Francis wants to do it. If Francis didn't feel comfortable to do business with him in the UFC, I'm not sure that I'm bringing Dana to anything I'm doing away from the UFC. That's a good point. But until next time, guys, keep on talking.